see if you guys are afraid to admit it. But I am afraid to admit that I am a wrestling fan. Mm. In public. Is that bad? Yeah. Are you ready? And welcome to a ducking podcast starring myself, the Rowdy Texan Abroad. We got Mr. Lathan Hall over here on this side and Mr. Too Hard Too Fast himself, George, down here on the bottom. Guys, how are y'all doing? Fantastic. I'm usually at top, but... (laughs) <laughs> well, tonight you're a power bottom. So, uh, George, it's your freaky Friday, brother. That's right. <laughs> 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 Welcome, guys. Welcome. It's our first um, episode of a ducking wrestling podcast. And we are going to be discussing one of my favorite WrestleManias of all time. It is WrestleMania 14. Uh, took place in March of 1998. So, we are right at what, 25 years? Oh yeah. yeah. Jesus, I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, 20, oh. 20, yeah, 25 years this past March. So figured it'd be a good topic to uh to start with because it's my favorite WrestleMania, I think by far. Um you know, there's there's better WrestleManias, but to me as a child, you know, I was 13 when this one took place in my prime as a wrestling fan. So this was this was my favorite, and rewatching it kind of reminded me of that. Lathan, what you think? Man, um, it was one of my first WrestleManias I remember watching on um, a scrambled cable channel because uh, my mom didn't have WrestleMania money, and neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like, I, I remember looking back at the time, I was like, "Mom, it's only like thirty bucks," and I think this WrestleMania was like forty. And she's like. Well, I ain't got WrestleMania money. Do you got WrestleMania money? I was like, no, but we have scrambled cable. He's like, well, you got scattered cable money. There you go. Have fun with it. Yeah, I think I watched more wrestling pay-per-views through the scrambled stuff than I did actually buying them. George. Yeah. What's going on, man? Not much. Well, fellas, we're all kind of rocking some wrestling shirts. Um, I've got the San Antonio 316 from our trip to the Royal Rumble back in January. The three of us. Awesome time. Fun George, time. George, which one are you rocking? DX, baby. Yeah. Lathan. Yeah. I am rocking a vintage WrestleMania 6 shirt, which is my favorite for the era that these printers had when they put this shirt together. I'll uh, let's go ahead and whip that bad boy out. Anybody can figure out what's wrong with this picture, leave it in the comments afterwards. But <laughs> um, but yeah, no, WrestleMania six shirt is nice. So it's kind of one of my favorites to wear. Nice. That is that is a beautiful vintage shirt. Gotta love that. Yeah. The funny part with George and my shirt, kind of representing uh the main event of <laughs> WrestleMania. I personally was more of a Shawn Michaels fan, but I wanted to rock this tonight. So, George? Yeah, that's funny because I'm more of a Stone Cold fan. <laughs> but, you know, you can't go wrong. DX is like what I wanted to be when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, here we go. We're going to get into WrestleMania 14. Guys, y'all ready? Ready. All right. 
here we go. WrestleMania 14. The first thing that came to my mind watching this was the was the intro. Like the intro was almost that very classic style of WWE, WWF, uh, <laughs> WrestleMania intros. But it had that element that like the to me it rang of the death of the traditional WWF like the like looking you know the neon WWF sign the you know going to the scratch logo going to the attitude era you know they made several points of of going in through and talking about you know tradition and this and that but then they taught like stone cold not traditional Shawn Michaels very much not traditional what y'all think from the intro, like I, I, I was that voiceover that that comes up. I was like, "Dang, have they done this the whole time? Because they do it now." It's like, have they always done this, and I forgot about it, or it's just a thing that they're doing again? But yeah, I got that too. Like something was dying, and something new was starting, um, and they were really trying to push that new attitude. People, this was around probably the time where people were like talking mess more on wrestling and like they were still finding out that oh there is a storyline or there is uh you know something that's not as real as they as everybody thought and so they were they were kind of talking about or at least to me they felt like that was those lines that they were trying to emerge <clears throat> yep Lathan yeah what were yeah you, you definitely tell there was a huge transition going on like I remember um, going back to what George was talking about the intro, it was just like you know they they put a hard narrative stance on it, saying like you know we're paying respects to like the old school way of doing business and classy Freddie Plassies, the you know the people that helped make the WWF the WWF to that time, um, you know and but then also telling you like hey we're going in a new direction like I'm pretty sure this is like the WrestleMania right after Vince had made that whole attitude uh, promo back in December, right beforehand. Yep, and like you could tell. That. Yeah, you could tell slowly by the way they were doing things on TV, like there's clearly going to be a shift in direction on where the company's going, where they're headed, where they want to go. Um, and then like WrestleMania is always that kind of stamp of this is where we're going to go for at least for the next foreseeable future. Like here's the narrative we're going to, we're building up to, and now here's where we're going to move forward. And so, you know, like people always talk that like WrestleMania 14 is like the Attitude Era is when it began, like when Stone Cold got the belt and he kind of just ran with it from there. Um, so yeah, so I mean, like it, it's it was a fun journey back down nostalgia lane because I was like I remember this and like it, it it I'll talk about it more as we keep on going into it. Uh, but yeah, it was it was definitely a fun ride. And George, yeah, they started doing these vignettes around this time. They just like as they've gotten old, as as we gotten older, I guess that the vignettes changed. Like because it was it was the uh, I remember the classic Blasty vignette was the one I remember the most. I can still hear the echoes cheering my name. Time has not silenced the crowd. I never did a moonsault. Or walked the top rope. There were no pyrotechnics. No fancy flashing lights. We never 
flew through the air. We were men of courage. Men of steel. They are men without fear. I can still hear the echoes cheering my name. But today, I cheer for them. <laughs> and then, oh, the other one I remember, the other vignette was, uh, you think wrestling's fake, try lacing up my boots when they had acknowledged all the athletic accomplishments of some of the wrestlers before they actually became wrestlers. Yeah, well, yeah, like, and then we'll talk we'll the talk injuries and all that. Yeah, we'll talk about that one because that came later in the show. Because I do want to address something in there that I thought was freaking hilarious in it. Like I was sitting here last night finishing it up, taking notes, and you know, after I was drinking margaritas <clears throat> and uh something caught my attention with it that I, I do want to address later. So because I also have a little thing on that, so I'm glad that's coming up. Yeah. Also, now I'm thinking of beignets. <laughs> it's gonna be one of them nights it's gonna be one of them nights. Oh, what a fun first podcast all right all right so the first first match coming out the gate was the tag team battle royal that would be taking on the new age outlaws or whoever the tag champs were at unforgiven um which it's funny because in the the thing jr calls it forgiven and king has to be like unforgiven <laughs> so I, that one that one kind of cracked me up there i want to say first and foremost with this battle royal i didn't take a whole lot of notes one of the things that i do want to say and i will this is the hill i will die on kama mustafa is greater than the godfather we'll table that for another conversation <laughs> <laughs> i just i but, i love i i've all i always love i think the in wrestling history he's gonna go down as one of the greatest character performers of all time to me you got uh kama mustafa which part of the nation i thought was great you got the godfather and what was his other one um the good father well, <laughs> That wasn't exactly going there with it. What was the voodoo one? Um, Papa Shango. Papa now, hold Shango. on, all right. Before, like, when you say, like, I, I remember you telling me your notes earlier. When you say Kama Mustafa, I don't remember. Like, I remember Kama, like him being Kama in the nation, but I always think of him because they eventually transitioned him in the late nation to the Godfather, and they just kind of went on. Like he's like a, like the, uh, the guy that converts to Islam in prison, and he comes back out. Of, remembers the giant exists and then he turned into the, like a big old pimp again. Uh, <laughs> but when you say, when you say Kama Mustafa in your notes, I was thinking about the prize fighter, Kama, when he used to play be the boxer from like Street Fighter. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then yep. I was like, I was watching it. I was like, oh yeah, his name was Kama Mustafa in the, in the nation. <laughs> the ultimate fighting machine, Kama Mustafa. I, I love, yeah. I, 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 but as a part of the nation, like it, it was, he fit and it fits so perfectly. Yeah. He was just there to be the enforcer in the background. Yeah. 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 George, thoughts? Would, it, would you prefer pimping hoes nationwide or making the ultimate well, warrior puke or <laughs> pimping that easy? <laughs> uh, so you I'm know what? I'm a fatty for this pimp daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I almost forgot about. 
about him being in the in, in the nation of domination. I said that right because I think I right. <laughs> anyway, but uh, uh, yeah, when when he came out, I was like, oh dang, that's right, I forgot about that. And then uh, I I almost felt like I did like him better as Mustafa or Kama Mustafa. But I think <laughs> I I, I want to say I liked him better in the nation because they almost showcased. I feel they showcased his wrestling skills better when he was with the nation than when he was the godfather. Like I felt when he was the godfather, it was like the comedic and the the, the fun and, and all that about it. And also, you know, the ladies. But I I just feel like his his wrestling was better showcased as uh Mustafa. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in this, you know, we we don't get a whole lot of entrance for that. I think we get the nation of domination with uh i believe that's farouk and kama for as their part of the tag team which the whole nation i think they were the entrance was by accident like if you notice the timing of it like it's supposed to like they just happened to be there when like they turned on at seven o'clock but i think the only person or the only team that was supposed to get entrance was lod 2000 well i I disagree with that i think that they did it on purpose because their entrance gave jr and king the time to introduce everything they got the crowd shots they got jr and king you know welcome and blah 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 but yeah i, I the the main i think they were kind of the appetizer for lod 2000 which i put in my notes lod 2000 way cooler than regular lod i don't know i don't have comments on that but i do want to say uh before i forget it is that from the whole battle royal, you know, it took me a while to even realize that's what was going on. I was like, "Why? Are, what's going? On? Like, what's the rules? What's like, uh, and they were like, "I think I don't know. Maybe I'm misheard, but I hear either Jr. or uh, the King say, if one team gets eliminated, then the other, the partner, or one person gets eliminated, then the partners there on their own." Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, they both, both get eliminated. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of like confusing. So I was kind of like, what's going on here? I was ready to fast forward. I was like, nope, i got to watch it all. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I personally think that LOD coming out with the the hot the goalie style. The they helmet. took long. They took too long to get their equipment on those. And let's I agree. Go. That let's I go. agree. <laughs> but, it, and that kind of brings me to my next note is it gave us more time to watch Sonny, who I think was way hotter than Sable. Back to LOD, so I remember as a kid, like, with LOD, it was fun hearing them coming back out and then, like, seeing, like, the screenshots the next night on Raw of them actually coming out. The only thing that broke my heart was that I was looking for Paul somewhere. Like, it's it's LOD and Paul Ellering kind of go together like uh, a baked potato and a, and a nice rib by a steak like you can't have one without the other it's just delicious like that That's a fair and point. uh yeah and so when it came to signing i was like oh cool sunny's back too but where, where's where's paul like, see that that brings up the next note as i think sunny hotter than sable but sunny sunny was kind of a tag team whore and not all in, over the place 
not even in the sense that like she was banging them because I'm not going to get into that and end up in the court for libel or whatever. But I mean, well, it, feels, has days. it feels like she, it feels like she just bounced from tag team to tag team. And I mean, yeah. she, you know, to the what was it? The body Donna's. She, she was, was the body the Donna's. The smoking guns, and then uh, Phineas and uh, Godwins. Yeah, the Godwins, basically. And then, like, it was what else was LOD two thousand. Yeah, and then she kind of just faded out. Yeah, it was. It was almost like they had her. They didn't want to get rid of her because who she was. She was what nineteen ninety eight's most like downloaded woman on AOL, which just cracks me up. Somebody waiting an hour and a half to download a picture of her um, on dial. Just a slow pixel, just. Sorry, face down. I'm like, that was part of my notes. That's actually note number three I took. I was like, how is she the most downloaded woman ever on AOL? Like, it blows my mind. Who would wait for this to, like, wasn't Pam and Tommy sex tape out about this time? Oh, man. You know, on my next note, like, around this time, and it kind of reminded me with LOD 2000, y'all remember around that time, everything edgy was labeled 2000. 2000, yeah. Like, you know, whatever 2000 is the, like, big, edgy, whatever, you know, but, it, right, am I, I'm not the only one that kind of remembers that, right? It seemed like everything was something, something 2000. Well, first LOD 2000, yeah, that was, everything was like, that's the new, that's the future. And the future is going to be big and bright. It's going to be something, you know, futuristic. We're going to have flying cars and all that nonsense. Self time. 2023. I'm still driving a 1985 truck. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey nowhere. Hey, don't hate on that. That was my first vehicle when I got my license <laughs> in 2001. Was an 85 Dodge Ram. Don't hate on that. Like a rock. Oh man. So. Yeah. I, I I will say, I don't know if this is factual, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there because uh, we don't check facts here. I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. I think in this match, there were more mullets per capita than any other wrestling match in history. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. It was, still, it was still pretty. It was 98. It was still pretty good. There were there were a lot. There were a lot of mullet, and that was something I noticed. I'm like, man, look, Bart Gunn has a mullet. Bob Holly has a mullet. It just Bob Holly had Bob Holly had the mullet. Let's be clear, <laughs> that thing was fucking beautiful. Uh, <laughs> um, I do want to say this before I do forget it because I'll probably forget it, and it's a little off sub subject, but it it goes through the whole, uh, the whole WrestleMania 14. I kept getting bothered by how many uh. Uh, camera people were on around the apron or you know and i was like why is there so many people it's annoying me like i kept getting distracted and I then that, i remember I, same thing same thing i was right. like god dang there's a lot of photographers <laughs> but i just it took me a little bit but then i was like oh yeah like back then it was about getting the perfect picture because i then it hit me i was like right before a big old stunt like going off the high the the top rope Everybody was waiting with their flash cameras. And as soon as everybody jumped, da, 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 all these flashes. And so I I was like, oh, yeah, they were selling the magazine. Uh, after every pay-per-view, 
on Monday night, they will show the still images because they wouldn't show you the video. They right. will show you the still images because they were like, dude, if you didn't buy the pay-per-view, you're not watching the, the video. Well, they, they, so they would always do a replay Monday, Monday after night. Raw. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they Monday would and Tuesday, you can get it still. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Now here's here's my question. And uh, you know, hindsight is kind of a son of a bitch with stuff like this that was that was so long ago. Did anyone at any point think LOD was not gonna win? See, that's why that was exactly what made me realize like the way they had set up the entrances was you knew who was gonna win. This WrestleMania right here tonight. Straight out the gate, like the only part, the only team to get an actual presentation when they come out is LOD, and, and so you already like you clearly knew that this was only going to set up a storyline to re represent LOD to the WWE crowd um, in a, just a different light versus what they used to know them in the in the in the old, in the old territory days. See, you know? but I don't think, but LOD hadn't been gone that long. But they had, but this is their repackaging though, with right. the airbrush, with the airbrush helmets, the new hot titillating, I use that term loosely, uh, <laughs> manager, and like the with animal with the shorts on and stuff, a rehab talk for the second time, and so like you know they were going, to, you clearly said they were going to be one of those that are included in the uh, in the new uh, attitude era, but this is the attitude era LOD. So it just gave them a new like coat of paint. Yep. George. So yeah. So now, that being said though, also I wanted to point out real quick that I forgot at this particular point in time that they were trying to get over um one of the first territory invasions with the NWA titles yep. coming in. Yep. Yeah. I I saw Jim Cornette running across my screen a few times with a big old tennis racket. You know. <laughs> that made my nostalgic heart beat, skip a beat a couple of times. Yeah. So, yeah, and, yeah. and, and I, I remember that because I remember they were doing the uh, NWA stuff and they had, because it was shortly either before or after that, because they had Jeff Jarrett was like the NWA North American champion. You remember that? Yeah, they tried to make that work. So LOD wins, great moment, great thing for them. You know, they're going to face whoever wins between Cactus Jack, Chainsaw Charlie versus the New Age Outlaws in a dumpster match later. Cool. So they the next thing that they show is the uh, public workout in Boston. You know, they, they go to that. They show the DX public workout, which I don't know why they called it a workout because like Michaels is wearing a suit and it, I don't know why they turn, why they use that terminology. But did y'all ever hear about the battery incident at the public workout? So many times, yeah. <laughs> George. Like, literally. Have you have you heard about this, George? For some reason, I thought it happened in Philadelphia. No, no it, it was in Boston. Boston. Yeah, it was in Boston where somebody in the crowd threw a battery 
and it's on video and it hits Shawn Michaels in the head, which, you know, I mean, that must've been like Donovan McNabb throwing it or something. And <laughs> it, you know, or, uh, you know, Drew Bledsoe in Boston, but you know, it, it hits Michaels and he immediately like stops everything and just leaves, which to his credit, I mean, he was, I mean, it's been noted a lot that he was not in a good place at that time. So I think that just, you know, anybody you're, you're standing there doing a public thing and you get hit in the head with a fucking battery. I think, I think I'd be done too. And a ducking battery. A ducking battery. Well, he should have done. <laughs> battery i think well oh, oh. <laughs> <He said> a... <laughs> duck and dodge <laughs> duck, dodge dive and dodger <laughs> yeah uh, uh so do you remember hearing about that george no yeah i remember i just thought it was uh, in philadelphia for some reason but when i was watching the clip i was like this looks like it but i thought it was in philadelphia that's it what about you lathan memory yeah. Oh yeah, I remember. I remember watching it. Like I remember not knowing what was going on at the time, um, and getting ready for this podcast. I went back and listened to uh, something to wrestle with, where Bruce um, Pritchard, because he was the one that basically was producing most of the main events, like media scrums and stuff for that time. And I, I remember him talking about how like it was a pain in the ass to work with like Sean to get him to do some of these things, and how he like walked off to the the limo and wouldn't come out and kind of like the the traditional like Shawn Michaels diva things that he was known for at the time with his bad back and like kind of like his drug addiction that he was dealing with at the time too. And so, um, but yeah, I was like, I, I, it was starting to all come back to me and then hearing him explain it from that side on the, from the inside out, I was like, you know, I would be kind of upset if somebody hit me with Barry too, but it was. It goes back to like the um, the same integrity that everybody always talks about with Sean. Like at the end of the day, sometimes he may hate to do something, but he'll always do what's better for the business, which is ironic for certain regards, which we'll talk about later. But uh, but yeah, but it was like he just randomly came back out to go ahead and just get the the shot done because the only way I set up that um, they set up that whole workout in the first place was for a picture. And it was the Mike Tyson and Shawn Michaels kissing Stone Cold on the head, and just that photo op that they can go ahead and put it on the sports press and just get that to publicize WrestleMania even more. And uh, so, I mean, we got it, we moved on, and we got to WrestleMania. But yeah, but that that whole workout was weird. I remember, I remember uh, staying glued to the TV as best I could on days that I was at home from school just to watch some of the other press yeah, that they were doing. Like, I remember being at my grandma's house watching Regis and Kelly one morning, and Stone Cold was on there. And Regis had the Philbin 911 shirt on, and they had their back-and-forth promo. That was yep. pretty hilarious. And then they had some stuff on MTV that they had posted at the same time, too. So I do remember there was, like, some a reference to Sable and Mark Merrill going out to eat in yeah. one of the promos. Yep. Yeah, I was like, this is weird. Right. So many different levels. I was actually going to bring that up because in that promo, the headbangers are holding the NWA tag team championships. Yeah. Cause they just won on Monday night raw. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, oh, man. Sometimes. so real Next. quick with all with talking about the work, public workout. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about is that I felt like back in the day, like in those days, 
they did a lot more like public outings than I feel like they do now. Like I think now they do like meet and greets where it's just like a long line to meet somebody. Yeah. Uh to where back then they Crazy, have, like, disorganized. <laughs> but yeah, but uh I I it just I just remember there was like more more events to go to that felt like a WWE event. Like maybe you weren't going to the main show, but you can go to this side thing that was like you could still see the wrestlers in character and all that. Um oh, yeah. and I I remember um I don't remember what year, but it was one of the first times uh maybe in the two thousands that uh Royal Rumble was here in San Antonio and they had a a big event at one of the malls here and I went as a college student trying to get tickets. I already had tickets, but I just wanted more because I'm greedy. <laughs> but um, I went and th- th- there was a thing like they were like trying to choose people out of the crowd to come into like their little mock ring and they were going to have a contest. And I wanted to get picked so bad for the competition that they said, anybody that has a wrestling shirt on right now, we're going to pick you. So I took off my shirt and I just started like in the public mall in the middle of this, all these people, and I'm waving my shirt around. It goes, the guy looked at me, goes, yeah, you for taking your shirt off. And then he's like, come on. And I was like, coolest thing. I went back then. There was no video, like cell phone videos or anything. I wish there was because I would have been up on that stage without my shirt. <laughs> Dude. So I remember that uh, that event in San Antonio because I was working for the Cowboys at the Cowboys Pro Shop. They had that event at Ingram Park Mall. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I met Hillbilly Jim. That was when I I I I, mean, I was there too. Ah, uh, then well, I was there. I met him, and I was the guy without the shirt. <laughs> I, didn't win, I didn't win the tickets. <laughs> Amazing. So the next match is one of my favorite matches on this uh, on this card, light heavyweight championship match, Takamichinoku versus Aguila. And the first note that I have is I think WWE missed a huge opportunity with the light heavyweights. Like, I, I think they had, you know, WCW at the time, this was WWF's answer to the cruiserweights. I think doing it, you could have done it correctly where cruiserweights, light heavyweights, you know, are, are around the same kind of area. And the, the, the reason I think it was a missed opportunity is my very next note. Jerry Lawler screwed the light heavyweight division. His commentary was garbage. All he did was make fun of them. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the, it's, uh, uh, Jerry, like I always remember Jerry Lawler always uh, talking down on like it was sort of like the same way that WCW in a sense would always like they put the cruiserweights on but they wouldn't really give them a lot of credit for what they were actually brought as far as athleticism and entertainment but like as the wrestling fan that you are you came to appreciate it and but they were still in an old school like old territorial t- type of mind state where it's always about the giant six foot plus meaty type of muscle bound uh wrestler as opposed to the beefy big man bumpy meat <laughs> type of wrestlers instead of like you know the 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 flippy uh what they call uh spot junkies nowadays but it was it was entertaining at the time 
on both sides. It's just that I I, I do give credit for WCW giving them more uh, effort to put them on their own little pedestal. But like in the land of the Giants in WWE, clearly this is only like a kind of a diversity type of hire, but for a mediocre belt that they didn't want to push. And they yeah. put the right person on it to bury it really quickly. And that was the, that was the king. Yeah. Oh, it just made me realize how good the light heavyweights really were. And I think the WWF, I think they did it because they had to. They were trying to answer the cruiserweights, but having Jerry Lawler, he just shit all over him. And it was, it, it, it made it less entertaining for me. Yeah. It definitely it would have been a time to bring in like a, a different commentator, sort of like like Mike Tanay was for WCW. Like he came and brought information that you would have never thought, like you would have never known about these cruiserweights, especially being international wrestlers. Like the supers, like um, Agula, yeah, and like even with Takamichinoku, like over in Japan, he was already accredited, like respected wrestler. And so, like, somebody with, like, a bigger background internationally would have helped out with that commentary um, just to help give a third voice. But, you know, it's it, it was what it was. And completely different style. JR, Joey Styles would have made that division. For sure. George. I'm just here thinking uh, Taka Michinoku. He has the Michinoko driver, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I can't do that. Like to my little brother when we're wrestling. <laughs> but every time I would drop like an elbow on him or like toss him around, I would yell out, Taka Michinoko! <laughs> <laughs> the most random yell. It was, yeah. It was, but it was like my, like, yeah. It's, and I completely have forgotten about it until I heard his music hit, and yes. it was like it was an instant memory. I was like, "Oh yeah, his music was <laughs> awesome." He had like the perfect style to go with him, the Japanese style, but like it it fits so if it's so perfect in there. I tell you what, you in a alternate universe, Takamichinoku versus Rey Mysterio would have been a main event anywhere in the world. Yeah. That would have been nice to see. Yeah, for sure. Now, and so one of my last notes that I have for this, uh, for this match, for some reason the title belts became colored. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> I'm tripping. <laughs> yeah. no, so this, no, well, it did start with the light heavyweight title, and then you remember the next night on Raw, they brought up the big blue belt. Right. Do you remember the Intercontinental? That ugly-ass uh, eggplant purple belt. Yep. I used to hate that belt. I still hated that oval belt. It was horrible. And then the European title was green, and then... Oh, I don't uh, remember, I remember all the colors. I don't remember that. Yeah, the Intercontinental title for the longest was green. Like, it was an emerald green. No, Intercontinental uh, title was, was purple. The Intercontinental, but the European title. Oh, okay. When, uh, yeah, yeah. When, uh, like, I remember uh, when, like, uh, I guess when D'Lo got it, and he was fighting as the European champion from different parts of Europe. 
they made it green, like an emerald green back backdrop on it. I don't remember. Which I thought that was I'm cool, man. To, I'm gonna have to look that up because yeah, I I remember the the big gold or not the big gold, the big eagle being mm-hmm. being the blue strap. Yeah. Oh, yeah, still. <laughs> He's a belt. Honestly, uh, it was like it was one. I was like it was one of those times where like I, I truly appreciated all the vintage belts, and then like you got rid of the wing angle. I was like, okay, this one makes sense because it's already busted up and everything, and like it, and then they got the new version of the blue belt, and then they changed the blue strap to the black strap on that, which I was like, okay, this looks a little bit better. But yeah, but the Intercontinental title for the longest time was like the worst looking title in the world. Yeah. Second, only second to the light heavyweight title. But oh, we do. man. So like when they re when they brought it back the second time and actually had like a black background, I was like, okay, this looks more like a prestigious title. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but then like, you know, it, it's one of those like I was, that's what I was thinking at the time. And then like going back and, and looking at it and some of the other decorated titles they had back then. Um, especially when it was international type of titles, like they had like a red backdrops and they had different colored backdrops and they actually looked cooler back then. I was like, okay, this makes sense for the time, but then it didn't make sense for the time either. It was like a fucking toy belt when I was 13. Yeah. So, yeah. George, thoughts on the I don't have any comments on the belts just because I really don't really remember the belts too much. I remember the main heavyweight belt the one that got thrown into like the creek from like the rock throwing austin. stone colds yeah no austin yeah yeah oh, okay um that's the, the main one i remember i and i feel like i think that's just me i don't really pay attention to the belts too much i do hate i always hated the uh, spinning wwe belt always yeah. hated that yep i think <laughs> I, I can agree with you on that so we don't have to have a, a podcast about worst belts ever. Yeah. Hey, so <laughs> I did love I did love the the hardcore original hardcore belt. No, like all broken and taped up. I thought that no, was nope. I'm gonna address that later. So uh, we're gonna put a pin in that. <laughs> I'm gonna address it later. Hey, one thing that we hey. kind of forgot. So let's in the battle royal, I rated that a one star. It just wasn't that good for me. It was kind of chaotic and kind of bleh. So did y'all give it a, a rating? George, what'd you give it? If we can give a zero, I'm giving it a zero because I was ready to pass forward. Lathan? Uh definitely a zero star. Like it was it was only like the way it was set up was only to build one particular tag team and the match wasn't even announced before the actual pay-per-view. So you weren't even supposed to be ready for it. So this is definitely, if they had pre-show back then, um, or Saturday Night Heat, this would have been on that card and not on the main event, or on the main uh, main show this year. So, like, nah, zero. All right. So, it, Fuck that match. so, I guess doing the math in my head after drinking a Four loco, what is that, a point three star? That's a duck that match type of ranking right there. <laughs> yeah. Need to get the duck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the light heavyweight match, as much as I enjoyed it, I don't think it got the time or the production needed. So I gave it two star. Yeah, no, that's why it was actually in my notes. It was two and a half stars. Okay. Uh, great. It was uh, a great action back and forth. I like that the crowd was getting into it. 
Like it's just one of those. It's Boston, uh, uh, like northern crowds, Connecticut area. They're always known for being some of the smarter type of fans that can appreciate the, these type of matches. So that was cool in itself. Um, but yeah, like it didn't. It didn't get really a lot of build, and it was a light heavyweight match, and King didn't do anything to help like you make it even feel like it was supposed to be as big as it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like it, it was just basically a really good. Monday Night Raw match at that point. So, two stars. Okay. George? Oh, I think I, I was I, I was going to give it a two, but I think I have to give into like, the potential that I could have been. And if, I think better commentary could have added to it. So, I think two and a half is fair. Okay. Awesome. All right. So, the next... Uh, thing on the pay-per-view was the Jennifer Flowers Rock interview. I don't oh, know. Art, before we I go to it, what we missed out on one specific part. Uh-oh, what? The horrendous rendition of the national anthem that was performed by the BX band. I really didn't want to talk so, about that. We have to talk about it. Listen, if we're going to talk about Jennifer Flowers, we have to talk about this other caucasity of situations that happened. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah, it's cut from the Peacock version of the WrestleMania. Like, they don't have it at all on there. Yeah. And, George, I don't know if you ever, if you ever saw this, but go out of your way to watch it at least once in your life. Um, the DX band was there to play the national anthem to start off the WrestleMania that year. And it was horrendous. Yeah, I don't, I don't either, remember. George, you can either go on YouTube and find it or just put an ice pick in your ear and call it even. <laughs> <laughs> I think at this point, I'm going to have to go look for it. But there was a moment, like, even then we're like, Wait, we'll get to it when Triple H's match comes out. Like, I was, I was like, it's not that good. Like, is that the, it was better when Shawn Michaels came out. Yeah. But when Triple H came out for his match, I was like, uh, he break. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're close to that. We're we're close to that. Yeah. Um go go on go and watch it online. So the Jennifer Flowers Rock interview, as a you know, I I, I had to look up who Jennifer Flowers was. I don't remember, but I, again, <laughs> I was 13 in poli- politics didn't mean shit to me. Um so I had to look up who she was, and it would like wikipedia had her listed as all sorts of the most random things it's like singer songwriter actress former member of the arkansas arkansas state government you know stuff like wait who what then i found the other stuff with bill clinton and all of that then okay whatever but (laughs) yeah it was weird first note when i saw this pop up who the fuck is jennifer flowers (laughs) And that was my old 13-year-old heart speaking out loud again. I was like, who the fuck is Jennifer Bowers? <laughs> like, 
I'm like, I had to look like it, it was too much research just to know who she was to begin with and why is she on my TV. Um, I will say that this was like the year of the most randomest celebrities that made no real sense uh, coming up on WrestleManias. Yep. Uh, starting with Jennifer Flowers and then ending with Pete Rose. <laughs> so, just crazy. George, George, did you know who Jennifer Flowers was? Did, did she just get a bunch of hits online because three random guys had to figure out who she was? Yeah, definitely not. I have no idea. I did not even bother to look her up. I was like, not worth my time and but I, like the only reason i stuck with it was like okay the rock's talking and yeah. then it was like nah, it was not that great <laughs> yeah which the rock i mean and this is early on in the rocks time early on, yeah yeah his i mean he's he was good he wasn't what he i mean of, of course it wasn't what he evolved into but you could see kind of that beginning of what he ended up becoming yeah yeah absolutely and this is the same time where like uh which will which will fall further into the match later on but but they were starting to have the dissolving of ron simmons as the leader of the nation and then the rock eventually took over and so you see that transition starting to play out even with the way that they were interacting tonight and like with his pro with the rocks promo especially yeah. um but yeah but it was it was interesting um one of the other things I noticed back on this too is that um, this is the first time that The Rock has started saying, if you smell what I'm cooking. And then eventually polished up into, if you smell what the, the catchphrase, you know, everybody knows yeah. the catchphrase. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but it's, uh, but I was like, you know, you can see, like, it's fun to look back and see the evolution of, of things to come. Um, so yeah, no, that was, that was the fun part of the promo. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the next match up is the European Championship, Triple H versus Owen Hart. The first note that I have is what was the point of the European title? I I feel like it was just an answer to the United States title with uh, WCW. Yeah, I think there was some kind of, I I forgot which podcast I was listening to, but I think they made it up in reference to they needed a title to go overseas with when they were doing a lot of international shows, I think it was literally just made up for like the British Bulldog to have. Yeah. Which I think he was the first, right? The first champion. Yeah. And then he lost it to, uh, to Shawn Michaels. And then it, of course, Shawn lost it to Triple H, which it was surprising that Shawn Michaels actually dropped the title to anybody at that time, instead of just giving it away. Well, let's not, Uh, let's not get too deep into that because at some point we may watch that raw. So that will be, that will be where we can uh, where we can talk Start about. Talking it. about it. I think yeah. this was it was in this match that it hit me how much I miss Howard Finkel. Oh yeah, well the thing he was a voice. He was truly a voice of a generation, and it was always great to hear his voice when he came up to the bigger matches. Uh, having them being called by Fink on the way out, I was, yeah. it was beautiful every time. He gave it like that good extra pot. Uh, gave it of extra experience to the actual match to show it's important he didn't do it for all the matches he just did it for the bigger matches after a while yeah yeah Yeah. i just it made me miss him so much more because that in my head is always like being a kid before before i had like before nintendo 64 when they had the really good wrestling mat you know games 
and it was just me mm-hmm. on my bed playing with the toys and stuff and it was always i would always do the howard finkel voice you know that was it, god it made me it, it makes me miss him yeah for sure I had the uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him at, at WrestleMania 32 as part of the fan access, and it was uh, it was a really awesome experience. And like I'm like, it, it was you never get to really meet a lot of your heroes, but like at the time he was he was still so giving to the business, uh, being out of it for so long. And but like it was just like, like I told him I was like you know I feel like a 12 year old kid watching you again, but actually like getting to finally meet you, and he's like. Uh, he was so he took it in and you could t- show the appreciation he had and how, the fun he had still for being part of the business after all these years. Like, you know, so you, you could tell with some of the wrestlers after you get to see him at certain like Russell Con and stuff, they get burned out by the business and like they, they're like, like they're fatigued and they just do this because it's their identity. And this whole time, like, it, you know, he had the same jolly spirit when talking to him uh talking about like going back to my memories and sometimes i remember his voice like reminiscing in my head while i was being bored in english class <clears throat> and so but yeah it was it was a fun experience to get to talk to him and that was probably one of the most memorable uh meet and greets i actually had ever with a wrestler outside of another one i'll bring up later um, That's pretty awesome but yeah 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 george thoughts you miss the fink um i do i i don't have like any kind of like special memory of it but uh when you made that voice i was like oh yeah like there was something special but i don't have like a like a connection like to where i'm like yeah i would mess it fair enough so (laughs) (laughs) in this match fucking asshole uh in this match Uh, all right so we are back had to take a little uh potty break and child break uh we didn't break a child that's not what we did um yes last thing we're talking about is you know missing the fink george said he didn't give a shit about the fink so uh (laughs) he said fuck the fink and his mama i was like damn he said duck duck the dink (laughs) (laughs) But I, I will say, so this was the best heel DX to me. They were the anti-authority. They were the giving, you know, the middle finger to authority in the WWE in general. And they were just, they were, they were doing the same thing as Stone Cold Steve Austin, but in a different kind of different way. And but a different this, swagger. Yeah. The, yeah, exactly. This will always be my favorite heel version of dx same i think this is like when i was like oh this is this is what i want this is i'm very yeah. oppositional defiant that this is what i this is this is what i like uh and watching it and there's a lot of clips that came out of wrestlemania 14 that i still remember and that they still even use right now like whenever they talk to dx except for you know when triple h like flat out flips off the camera but i think it still comes out every now and then like you know uh so i love this part of or this this type of dx that it grew into yeah lathan thoughts yeah oh man so uh the funnest part about watching this back 
was without any like me prodding him or poking him to do it like lj was watching it with me and just started doing cross chops across <laughs> the house it was just like stuck it and stuck it and stuck it and like i'm looking at him I'm like see that's what i remember like this is why i enjoyed dx it was just always like they had the best catchphrase they were always like the coolest kids in the class and like like as much as like they were um, good as like characters they were even more talented when they actually got in the ring too so they were the, they were the kind of wrestlers that could talk to shit and then back it up at the same time and so you know it, it was when the anti-hero started becoming cool and like you were saying art like it was just it was dx just had a different way of going about it than than stone cold but they were basically two of the same character builds coming out of that era and uh, it was really awesome. But, you know, it, eventually, you know, the way they actually expanded after WrestleMania was even better. Um, so it actually, like, it could take on a whole new role of its own, and they became even cooler as, they, as time went along, which we'll talk about more going into the tag team match coming up. But it was uh, definitely, definitely a unique way of coming out. A lot of times I do look back and think that, like, the DX is clearly an answer in the WWE to the NWO for WCW. It's just that WWE did it better, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like both, both, both factions were cool. It's just that we wanted the true attitude, and no pun intended when I say this for the era. But like DX gave you that attitude. Like NWO just became like it was anti-establishment too but it was just like cartoonish type of anti-establishment like it was you could tell there's a big difference between the way the two were were put together the way the way they were produced at the time so definitely but the way uh, it, the way i was, think about it is that it's like kind of like kind of comparing it to like high school nwo were just like the kids that got in trouble and did like rebelled against everything, where DX was also those kids, but they were funny and like, like everybody yeah. wanted to be their friend and everybody wanted to be around them. So whenever they got in trouble, it was hilarious. To, I, I always to look at it. I always look at it. So you know, looking back, the NWO wanted to be their own entity. You had WCW NWO. DX worked within the system they were in. So you never had a, oh, this pay-per-view is WWF DX pay-per-view. You know, yeah. they, the NWO... It was just a faction inside of WWE. Right. The NWO, while was a faction that wanted to be completely separate from WCW. Yeah. So that... Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of the the way I always looked. Uh, kind of saw them as completely different um, areas. <laughs> now, throughout this whole pay per view, they keep mentioning something happened to Earl Hebner. I I, I don't know. Do, do y'all know what happened to him? Because they they talk about him being in he the had a, he had a kid. No? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Listen, both come out of nowhere. You don't see them coming at all, I guess. Like, sure. <laughs> what? I, I, was, I, was... I didn't remember hearing something about, but like, hey, like there was a baby talk. And it's like, maybe not. Oh. I don't know. Maybe I was dreaming. I don't know. 
Oh no! So I didn't know. I didn't look. Uh, I didn't know this until earlier today. So I watched. Uh, uh, getting ready for this, I watched Brian Zane's take on the WrestleMania 14 also, and he was referring to it because they were made mentions of it. And I was like, "What?" Well, Sean Earl Helder, he's like, you know, he's still alive and he's still. I mean, he's that ref from the Montreal Screwjob, right? That everybody remembered, but apparently he had a brain aneurysm, like uh, the Friday before WrestleMania. Oh shit! Yeah, it wasn't like it was just it was wild. Um, but they said he had came like obviously he came out perfectly fine on the other side, which is one of the rare times that you actually say brain aneurysm and nobody's dying. Right. But uh, but yeah, I remember that was the big thing um, that Brian had talked about on the show because they did make mention to Earl Hebner a few times. So yeah. Oh, Man, I don't know what I heard then. That was just completely... <laughs> Both of y'all at the same time, like, he had a brain aneurysm. He had a baby. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what I heard then. Oh, that was amazing. I will say one of the funniest things that I saw was there was a moment where China is standing at the ring. She's handcuffed to Sergeant Slaughter, and he is pulling on her like, like he is putting his weight behind it. She's just standing there. And I'm like, this is really funny. Like yeah. watching, watching that transpire and watching slaughter with her. And, you know, she throws the salt in his face, which is like way too powdery. And it just, it looks horrible, but it was funny. Like those two interacting throughout this match was, was really funny. Oh Yeah. It was, it was part of me. Well, this is the randomest part of my thought process watching this match. It's like, man, like imagine having to take, like, just having to sit there and wait for your cue on the side because it's like there's there's moments where you could see China and Sergeant Sergeant just standing there, but like no real interaction, just kind of just like waiting for their cue and their mark in the match to actually do something. And like it was just like I was like. Dude, I could be doing anything else, but I'm just sitting here being bored out of my mind right now, waiting for my cue so I can go ahead and get collect my paycheck and get salt <laughs> thrown in my face. And then the other part of it to me was, and this is one of my notes I put in here, I'm like, where the hell did the salt come from? Because I don't remember China reaching for it, like pulling out of her pants or anything. It was just like I was watching a match, it was going on, then all of a sudden this cloud of dust comes out of nowhere. And then she gets in the ring, or she low blows Owen Hart outside the ring. And I'm like, all right, that was a cool way to have a heel ending to a match. But, like, all in all, like, it was one of, like, probably the second best match of the night from a technicality standpoint. Like, it was, like, it's one of those when I go back and I look at, like, um, most Triple H matches or even Owen Hart matches or, like, Bret Hart matches, like, there's like there's story build in it, and then there's also super technical moves added to the match to create even bigger story build um, between the two competitors. And like I remember, it was always one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite storylines was Triple H versus Owen Hart at the time. When second note I put on here is why is there not a uh, Shawn Michaels versus Owen Hart storyline going on right now? But there's there's reasons why I'll, we'll talk about here a little bit, but yeah, it was uh it was definitely Triple H and Owen Hart always was an entertaining view to me going into this. George, <laughs> for uh, for me, I think this whole match, it kind of it kind of made a somber feeling for me because I was just 
it, and then the whole pay-per-view afterwards, I kept thinking about it. it. Reminded me like a lot of the good wrestlers that we lost. Uh, well, uh, you know, China, you know, lived longer, but it just it's it, so anyways. Like it was just like a reminder of like the good ones that are gone. You know, now so that's what I was thinking like while watching that match, and then the rest of the pay-per-view, other people, and I was like, oh dang, like like there's a lot of them that are gone. Yeah, um, I actually have in my notes uh, three out of five of the people in that match have passed away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. what that was my thought through it. I think the whole match, you know, it could have been a main event on its own. Um, I think a lot of the matches in WrestleMania 14 could have been a main event on their own. Um, but yeah, I think there's a there's a replay uh, where they show what happened to Sergeant Slaughter with the powder. And you can just see China out of nowhere just like pouring the powder into her head, like in that replay. And it's like, what how does he not even notice that this is happening? How does some bag she just you know throws it out? I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, throughout wrestling, like they do the the salt thing, which actually I haven't seen that in years, like year, like probably a decade or more. Um but yeah, it just it looks so bad, and I, I that's was, why they don't do it anymore now. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, there, <laughs> it doesn't look like salt. It looks like powder. It looks like baby powder. There's no way to say, oh, it's salt, when it's like there's a puff of a cloud. Like the, you don't get a puff of cloud with salt, you know. And but one of the things too that I one of the notes that I had is again heel commentary was was really dumb like jerry lawler as a heel commentator during this whole pay-per-view to me it didn't bring anything to the table really i kind of miss it no yeah i just it, it like his his heel commentary to me was just so kind of like roll like i'd sit there listening and it wasn't good heel commentary it was like territory heel and i just sit there and go oh you know, with him and his, I it just yeah, it just didn't add anything to me. It, I think it was, for me, it was it's, like, it's Memphis wrestling, Jerry Lawley. Yes, through yeah. and through. For me, I feel like I I miss it only because like you, I mean, you knew where you usually knew where Lawler stood and like who he hated, who he didn't. Uh, where nowadays, like they do it, but you have no idea like why they hate him or why they don't hate him, why why they talk mess about him. Like, it just feels like it's a little force where it's two guys commentating and one has to contradict the other. And it's a little force to where Lawler and uh, uh, JR, you kind of knew where each one of them stood and you understood why they were talking mass or one would talk mass over the other and why mm-hmm. Lawler would like the bad guys in certain situations and JR would be like, what is wrong with you kind of thing. Yeah, see, I I think I think nowadays Corey Graves being a heel commentator is much more subtle, and it gets the point across. And maybe that's just a testament to how good Corey Graves is. Kings was just way. I mean, it was just. I mean, it's like, it, I mean, it was him punching you in the face with how why with how much he hated somebody. I don't know. It, to me, it it kind of it kind of pulls away from what what we were watching fair enough i mean most of the time he, he was punching down 
I I gave I, as much as I enjoyed the match. I don't think it got enough time, so I gave it two stars. Oh, I'm gonna go two and a half just because I, I I liked the antics, uh, China on the side, uh, Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, I found it a little. I found it a little more entertaining. So I gave it a three, uh, which there were a couple of contexts uh, that made me go to this. First of all, again. Um, the adult me loves watching these, these older matches back that are full of like where they're trying to like where they're drawing the line between entertainment and actual good technical groundwork in wrestling and giving it more of a traditional feel while giving the entertainment. So I did like that part of it. Um, again, huge fan of like Owen Hart and Triple H around this time. Like Triple H doesn't get Triple H gets the the credit where credit's due for like being like the forefront of the NXT angles now and the new character build that they're putting up. And he gets shitted on for the, the, the 2003 reign of Terry he had. But like when he was playing second fiddle to Shawn Michaels, that's probably some of his best work to help him prove that he belongs where he belongs in the, in the, in the industry that he was trying to be in. Um, but also, Fun fact I completely forgot about without uh, until I started watching this again. Owen Hart was wrestling with a fractured ankle the whole time. Like he literally took off his cast the day, like he the Triple H won the title from him Monday because he had the boot on. He had the boot on the whole time, took it off the day of the match, and went out there and still had a pretty damn good match. You can tell that he actually had anything going on. So and so for that, even like mustering through that type of of pain, um, kind of put it a little bit higher up on the on the the uh, ranking system for me, for what they had to go out there and try to achieve. So yeah, I don't think anybody, uh, I don't think anybody could take anything away from Owen Hart, what he was, what he did, um, sticking around, even even with the WWE kind of ducking him around. Uh, you know, trying to figure out a spot for him. But yeah, I had kind of forgotten about that. You're right, Lathan. Yeah. So I was like, I gotta I gotta give credit where credit's due, man. Like it's uh it was it, in that era too, you know, it was kind of like you just bandage up something, you get out there and the show must go on. But like that was a true testament and like it just goes to show how talented uh or how good of a talent base he had back then. Um, especially for all of what you said, like, you know, there was a lot of ducking around that they were giving him. Um, <laughs> uh, but it, it like, it's so he went out there, he did his job and he collected his check and put on a good show and kept us entertained. So I always, uh, always love it for it. That's a, uh, that's a fair point. And with that being said, gentlemen, can we have a, a toast to, uh, China, Tim White and Owen Hart, who have all, Gone. Rest in peace. Yeah. All right. So next up, we have a kind of a unique matchup that I was surprised by watching it again. We have Marvelous Mark Marrow and Sable versus Goldust and Luna Vachon. First, the watching this match again, first thing that i wrote down what went wrong with mark marrow everything and it will go backwards from there 
<laughs> watching, watching the match, he was so. He was trying to be a boxer in a wrestling area. I mean, I I didn't get the gimmick. No, am I wrong here? Am I the only one? Going back, like Mark Merrill was not. He was a good wrestler. I mean, he was doing Hurricane Rana's. He was. I mean, he was a good wrestler. I I wonder if. Sable was the one that kind of ruined it for him because she just became so much more than him. It wasn't, I think what it was is that it wasn't Sable that ruined it for him. It's just that, like, it's Sable. Eventually, you knew eventually, like, she was going to eclipse out of being just uh, another girl on the side or another ballet, and she was going to become her own thing at the time especially the way that she was uh, portrayed on TV. Um, but Mark Merrow, even to that credit, still had a pretty decent run with uh, in the WWE. I just always remember more as Johnny B. Bad in WCW. God, that was so, so terrible. Yeah. The wild man with the big old frail jacket and shit coming to the ring. And I'm like, that was who I remember. And I remember seeing this and I'm like, Okay. Um, when is he gonna bring out the really cool like like confetti shooter and stuff like he used to have back in WCW? Don't make that hand motion again. <laughs> That's a confetti shooter. What are you talking about? <laughs> Just let this shit right out. Confetti everywhere. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh yeah, it just watching this match, I was like, damn, what went wrong with him? Like it seemed like he he kind of had it. I, I don't know, George. I think it's that. I think it's this, that Sable was a bigger character, uh, a bigger personality, and she had a bigger career for different reasons and for different outlets that she participated in. And I think he did his best and tried to be, and this is just my perspective too, like, because I feel like there was a storyline where he kept trying to put her down. And it's like, it's yeah. not going to work. She's way bigger than you. Yeah, and it's funny you talk about being bigger because I have a note that um, Goldust Booty was bigger than Sable and Lunas. So hey. take that for what she. The, the bigger question you should be asking her is not what's wrong with Mark Merrow, but what was going on with Goldust the whole time? My God. Uh, see, and I'm glad that's kind of a good transition because. Uh, oh, he transitioned a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was my that was my next note. Is Goldust one of the biggest names to never win the WWE WWF championship? Yes, but he was also one of the better Intercontinental champions that I remember to date. But that was early. I mean, that was real early in his career. And after that, he never. I mean, he was a tag team champion. Uh, probably That's about it. Champion. Hardcore champion for you a little bit there, yeah. But nothing but like, but he was a good gimmick. Uh, they got over, yeah. And it's like it's he. He's, I, I put him on the same like kind of level as like the Undertaker. It's one of those characters that kind of stayed with you through your your historic thoughts of wrestling as you grew up. Yeah, and that that kind of goes to that sense. Like he was a good worker. He had a great character. Why was he never taken to that next level? Didn't need to be. Some of them don't like. It's just kind of like uh, 
it's just the character gets over by itself. It doesn't necessarily need a Tyler to be represented on it to be the next tier wrestler. Like, there's going to be your superstars like Stone Cold and John Cena that are going to carry the business. But if you slap the WWE title on Gold Dust, I would never see him being the one to go out and do a make a wish. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go see Gold Dust on Regis uh, live on Regis Kathy Lee trying to be the forefront of the business. It's like the character development of him was perfect for that mid card, and that's where it was supposed to stay. And he was going to be just that entertaining character, like nothing more, nothing less. Now I've got now I've got an image in my head of like some children's hospital and Goldust walks in dressed up as Sable and lingerie. Yeah, like no, uh-uh. <laughs> no, oh my goodness, no, that's that's not what we need. That's not the wish I wanted granted before I died of cancer. Thank you. No. <laughs> Can I no. wish for it to go away? <laughs> How about shattered dreams oh. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Oh, that was funny. I will say, I will say though, watching this, oh man, Luna, Luna just deserved better, more. She could have been. I think, I think she came into the WWF, WWE, excuse me, at the wrong time. If she had come in, man, five years later, I think it would have been a completely different scenario she came in as a real wrestler and got tasked with having to deal with sable and and i don't say deal with because from all the reports and stuff sable was was a great learner with trying to learn how to wrestle and all of that but you know you you think like the idea that a a good women's match could have been like jacqueline versus luna that would have been a really good women's championship match. I agree. That would have been good. But at the time, though, again, it's sort of like you can look at Sunny and tell where, like, they kind of like their thought concept with uh, um, beauty standards were going. Like, this is one of my notes I have in here is between Bill Clinton having very unattractive side pieces. Um, <laughs> Vince McMahon clearly has the type of woman he likes to promote on TV. It's a buxom blonde with no backside. And this is Sable and Sonny to a T. Like, this is like, okay, this is what we're going for. This is where our, like, our divas are going to go in this direction. Luna was very good about making sure Sable looked better on TV when it came to being athletic. But that was like, you could tell she was being goose shit this whole match. Like, it was not the most entertaining match um, Stables ever put on, but it was definitely one that made her look more legitimate because of who she had to wrestle with. Yeah. Now, with that being said, I gave this match a three-star. I I actually enjoyed the match. I think Sable did well for what she was asked to do. Luna played her part. And then Mero and Goldust were, were legitimately good. I, uh, I gave this one... One star. And, and personally, it was just like, because it was one of those I was mentally checked out of. When I, I remember being 13, this was kind of a boring match, not knowing much about Sable and herself. And Goldust was not the best looking version of himself at this time. Um, and Luna Vachon's voice scared the shit out of me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, right, fair enough. 
<laughs> yeah, and so and then going back and look at it now, it was still good. It was a it was still a good match, uh, but it did, it wasn't anything that like made me want to sit there and watch it and sit this entire be like, man, if I wanted to go tell somebody to watch a good match from like the late nineties, this this would definitely be one of the the ones I would tell them to turn away from. Like it wasn't entertaining at all. Yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely for that, I had to give it a I gave it the one star. Um, you know, it's just it just was what it was. I am gonna give it a one. I I I starting off the match or maybe throughout the match, I would have said a zero. But the only reason I'm giving it a one is because it took me a while because I was enjoying the wrestling of the females. Um it took me a real a while to realize that they were pretty much covered up. Like there was no revealing attire <laughs> so i was like after a while i was like oh dang that's sable and she's completely like almost neck to toe not really revealing like i was i was enjoying <laughs> i was enjoying the match of it all um now goldust i have nothing to take away from goldust i i don't care much for mark marrow never have and so i was very uninterested in that part but I think the women did great, and that's why they're getting a one. Next up, we have the Intercontinental Championship. Duck you, CM Punk. I got triggered. Sorry. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so next for another up, we have the Intercontinental Championship, The Rock versus Ken Shamrock. First note I have on here is, again, who is Jennifer Flowers? Is slash was Jeff Jarrett great? No. Hell no. Not the way they were portraying him there. I enjoyed him. I enjoyed watching his matches and his uh, character, but not My the way they were. My old draws better than Jeff Jarrett in 1998. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know, like hindsight, and and I guess that that should really be the name of this podcast is just the hindsight wrestling podcast. Um, like, I know I did a few walks down the hallway <laughs> like this. So I was a Jeff Jarrett fan, but I wouldn't say I would say not he wasn't the greatest of the way they were saying as they were introducing. Hindsight, hindsight being twenty twenty, from now till back then, looking back, is was Jeff Jarrett great? No. I would say I remember I appreciate Jeff Jarrett more as a promoter. When I look back at it, like nineteen ninety eight, like it was Jeff Jarrett was just another wrestler that I saw bounce back and forth between WCW and WWF. Um, and when he was on TV, he was the same character. It was one dimensional, and he was just this country bumpkin boy from Georgia that was just on my TV. I didn't really care too much about his daddy, and but like going into the 2000s is when he had like his uh bigger push like I, rem I remember that Jeff Jarrett that was smacking women in the back of heads with guitars and El Cabong and them and then uh <laughs> and then starting up TNA and um and that Jeff Jarrett but like this early Jeff Jarrett was kind of boring and he didn't it if he was on my TV I wouldn't hesitate to change the channel uh, because anything he did was kind of boring and kind of cliche at the at this particular point in time 
Well, first Which, of all, let's let's clear it up. He's from Tennessee, not Georgia. Listen, horrible all the same. Yeah. Now, I will say the bigger question is why is he on my TV right now? Because there's no sense of him being in this at all. Uh, he brought out Jennifer Flowers, which uh, I could have done without either one of them on TV at this point. I'm like, I'm getting ready for a Rock versus uh, Ken Shamrock match. And then I got uh, the side piece of Bill Clinton on my TV, who is dressed horribly, my ad. Um, and then Jeff Jarrett for no reason. So hey, that's, hey, that's my first. Don't forget about Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee Lee. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I was like, what was this for? What was this supposed to help promote as far as the match going into it? Because it yeah. brought nothing to it. It was just a moment. I don't know. I don't know what that point was. But I will say, you know, we have uh, the entrance for The Rock, and it's the original Nation of Domination. I... As a kid, I didn't get, I didn't think about like the racial aspect of what the nation represented. I thought the nation was cool as shit. Their music, their attitudes, their, I thought it was cool. Like I loved everything about the nation. Part of it, like the part of the the draw of the nation was it was a faction that made sense for the time. Like everybody played a particular role. And it was just factions. I mean, factions at that time were kind of cool because it gave everybody some kind of involvement on the on the the card in some way, shape, or form. And then it kind of got really crazy when they had like uh, uh, gang rules, Survivor Series matches. I was like, hey, that's too many factions. Um, but yeah, no, the, the the nation domination was always cool when they came on TV. Yeah, to me, this is the best version of the nation. I mean, I didn't I didn't take the racial cultural thing into account you know i just thought it was this group of guys who were just badass and they were they were cool as shit to me yeah yeah and i think because also like i maybe did not like understand the culture at the time i I grew up in a hispanic town so i just knew that but uh you can uh yeah but that's just what maybe why i vibe with like the 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 cruiserweights and all that because most of them were Hispanic. <laughs> no, my next my next note is if Shamrock had a mouthpiece, he'd been better, greater than Brock Lesnar. So Shamrock, so Shamrock should have had the success that Lesnar had later on. Shamrock, oh, okay. Shamrock was just I mean, watching this match like he can he can brawl, he can wrestle he can he does the he does a couple of hurricane ranas i mean he is and he he can sell the the hits and stuff he to me if he had had somebody who could talk for him because i think that was his biggest weakness was he was not a talker i i really think i really think that if ken shamrock had had somebody to talk for him if he had a, had a paul Heyman, he would have been bigger than Brock Lesnar. Yeah, I mean he was the, he was the first original like UFC guy to come into like WWF so they didn't know how to use him but man they used the shit out of him cuz he was a good he was a good um he was a good wrestler, he was definitely a great performer and he could you know he gave him everything and he could do it. I am quite impressed though that he does not have as much severe CTE 
uh, than most of the other wrestlers coming out of the same area. Because man, he could take a chair shot to the face. My next, holy note, shit! My next note was, damn, those chair shots. <laughs> Yeah, he never rose his hands up. I was like, at all, like, like just straight to the face. Those were some yeah. foley yeah. chair shots to him. Yeah, no, it was it was crazy. Like listening to Ken Shamrock on interviews later on, he was like, you know, that was that was just being tough. He, he's like, just told the rock, like, he told the rock before he gave him the chair shots, like, listen, if you don't drill into me, the chair shots, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get up and beat your ass for real. And so the rock literally <laughs> took. All of that to heart to make sure he wound up and like knocked his head into the third row every time. It was it, and like it, it it gave the realness to the match, especially to their matches uh, that it needed. Because for what it was worth, um, as good as he is as a wrestler, he wasn't a good wrestler. Um, but he was definitely an entertaining wrestler. I thought he was. I thought he was good. Um, and it was always good to see. Uh, the one disappointing part, I will say, though, for all of King Shamrock's existence and Dan Severin at the same time was them never having, like, a true match like they used to have in UFC. And as a kid being disappointed, not seeing that again in the WWF, not thinking about it in the concept of, like, one is orchestrated and the other one is actually real ultimate fighting championships at the time. So, yeah, man, but, like, Ken Shamrock definitely was uh, fucking nuts. And jacked <laughs> to the gourds. Oh, my God. If you want to talk about a big, beefy man, that's definitely Ken, that, that Ken Shamrock definitely was the meaty man back then. Do we Do we have to? Uh, <laughs> hey, if you're billed as the most dangerous man in the world, that made me believe it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. I will say... I really enjoyed the finish. Like it was kind of a shenanigans finish. And I remember being a kid at the time and being pissed off. Like, no, he's the champ. You can't do that. As an adult watching back, I'm like, okay, it, it played out good. Like the image of the rock hanging on the apron with the blood on his mouth. And he's like convulsing and, like that stuff and Ken Shamrock's whooping the shit out of referees and some random yeah. guy in a suit who's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he gets belly to belly suplex. Like one of them was Pat Patterson. And then the guy who got, well, no, those guys, yeah. You, you know, those guys, you always knew. What did they call them? The, the Stooges. There was, they had a term. There's, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like the, the random guys, like the one they tried to, to stop Ken, and then he got slammed. I was like, I don't know who that guy was. Was he? He didn't look like he was trying to be a wrestler. Like, you know how like security comes out and they're all fucking big and tough. And <laughs> I mean, they yeah, were all ducking. those were the old school indie wrestlers before indie wrestling was really cool. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, that was part of my notes. I was like, I remember whenever Ken Shamrock would get into it and someone started suplexing everybody. It was like, all right, you knew. There was a point where I was like looking at it. I was like, okay, there's Tim White, um, and there's like three other wrestlers or three other refs I know specifically that are officiating matches. The rest of these people are dressed up as, as referees, not referees, and they're the ones that got the business. They got suplex all over the place. Everybody else that was paid to be there as a ref, they just literally um, Ken Shamrock would look at them and then move on to the next referee, and they start suplexing them. 
but you knew like uh it was funny because like i was like my nuts was like okay regular referees stayed safe the ones that got wrecked they were just there for uh, for the the excitement part of getting slammed by ken shamrock thinking um the look on on ken shamrock's face when they're changing the call uh for disqualification and even though now i'm like I know, I get it. I understand the storylines. I understand how things work. It instantly took me back to being a kid, and I was like, oh, dang, they're changing it. They're changing it. And, like, I almost forgot, like, I'm 35 years old. I know what's going on here. But, like, I went back to, like, oh, they're changing it. I, I do say I loved I loved the Farouk moment where he goes and he climbs up. Also, by the way, I'm 36. I must like i love i love farouk getting in that moment and he's like no nope and he just gets down in his uh acid washed jeans and walks away (laughs) the ultimate badass uh, tire at the time was boots and just acid washed jeans absolutely so i gave this match a three star I thought it was a good match, and I, I liked the ending. I liked it. I liked the way they did it, and it built knowing that there was more to come. It wasn't the culmination of the feud, so three-star for me. I went 4.5. Those oh. chair shots. The chair shots, man. Oh. And then, again, it took me to that moment. It took me back to being a little kid, seeing – Something like that happened, like the shenanigans, like you said. I was, like, invested. Yeah, yeah, I definitely gave it a three. I think I gave it three, three and a half on this one. Um, the one thing I do like about this particular, or this WrestleMania, is that you could tell there were some matches that were just made for the show, and then there was some matches that were based off of long-term storybooking. And, like, this is one of those matches, like, the Triple H Owen Hart match, the Rock, um, Ken Shamrock match, the other, even for what it's worth, the main event match wasn't given the same time frame as these other matches on the show. And you can kind of see, like, they were putting more effort and emphasis on some of the mid-card to really get them over. And, man, the Rock got over really awesomely. Um, Ken Shamrock definitely got over. Like, it was definitely a great match on the show and they gave it time to breathe and tell the right story um, going into the match, leaving the match. And then the one thing I always remember at the end, it's not when he's on the, the side of the apron art, but when he's actually being carted up the, the, the entrance um, and the rock is giving the title. He's sitting there just like as a shit heel, just holding it up. On heat while he's like, on yeah, the stretcher. Yeah, while he's on the stretcher, like he just won the title, like straight out, like he earned this. I was like, oh man, that is that is perfect heel, mo- like the Rock right there. And yeah. it's made me like, it, like I always liked his character build, especially when he was heel. Like he had so much more room to actually be a better heel than a good like a face. Like the Rock's always been a good heel. He's charismatic like that. He'll he'll draw you in just enough to make you boom and like. He has a really punchable face. All right, guys. So next up, we have the tag team championship match. The New Age Outlaws versus Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie. 
which my first note is Chainsaw Charlie was a dumb name because they kept calling him Terry Funk throughout the match. And yeah, like it, it, it takes away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. the guy's wearing a t-shirt wearing Funk you like <laughs> it's Terry Funk he pretending he's somebody else. Where's the stocking mask that he came out with when he came with chainsawed off the box gimmick and stuff? I'm like, where is that guy? I'm like, who is Terry Funk and why do they keep on mentioning him? I always love I always love that because uh in something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, he talks about Chainsaw his debut where he comes out of a box. And he talks about that Jim Cornette loved that. No, he's gotta come out of a box. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. <laughs> so that always cracks me up thinking about that but yeah it's i mean it's it's terry funk which i'm i've i'm a huge terry funk fan i oh this is gonna be a rough one to say so to me terry funk is greater than rick flair yeah i put them on equal ground so here's my note. There's here's one of the first things <laughs> I had when I first watched this. Thirteen uh, year old, I said, thirteen year old Lathan, man, this dude is really old as fuck. <laughs> yeah, he's 50, three years old in that match. Like that is yeah. insane. That is yeah. crazy that he's that he's in that match. Um, yeah, I I just I think that. Terry Funk as a wrestler in being going from being a very technical wrestler to what he ended up doing with ECW and WWE in the late nineties. I, I just, I, to me, he is just, I put him in a category above Ric Flair because Terry Funk never lost a step. Ric Flair did. Definitely 12 step program a few times. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, that was low hanging fruit. No, I mean, like, I, I can see where you're coming from. It's, I would say, in that light, Ric Flair was the more decorated, territorial specific wrestler everybody can kind of recognize at the time. And Terry Funk is just like he's here. He's been everywhere. He's a he's a journeyman type of wrestler. Like he's your legendary wrestler that has folklore told about him at the time and again still had required by 20 years at this particular point yeah um, as far as like the way the, the way he had his cut his teeth in wrestling throughout the the decades and stuff um I, I will be the first to say like before i was i was told about terry funk in wwf i didn't know anything about him i didn't know anything about his history and then growing to become a wrestling fan, you know, going back and looking at a historical take of him, like, oh man, he's done a lot. He's been through a lot of death matches, especially with uh, Mick Foley, which uh, I don't know if you knew this, but one of the matches that were actually advertised originally for this WrestleMania was for Mick Foley and Terry Funk to have a, a Texas death match. Oh, I didn't know that. It's, and the only reason why they didn't get, go through with it is because they got Mike Tyson to actually come onto the onto the show, and so they already had enough dangerous things going on with Mike Tyson being in there, and they didn't want to add a little bit of extra <laughs> negative fuel to the fire, if you will. 
<laughs> I thought that was kind of fascinating going to researching this is that like that was a possibility to be see one of those crazy matches uh going live pay-per-view at the time. Yeah, that would have been that would have been fucking wild. Duck and wild. Duck and wild. I think this whole match just from the I I enjoyed the whole match. But um the entrance was one of those things again took me back to being a little kid. And yeah. And 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 uh obviously the the outlaws intro. I went from like watching that quietly and taking notes in my head to oh you didn't know <laughs> it's like the, the everybody in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, I I I I, I love the outlaws entrance and it, it's we it's it's interesting because we all have the classic new age outlaw entrance in our head and this is early on in their tag team career and it's not what we traditionally know from later on so yeah uh you know talking about this match um you know, a few years ago, I had my ACL replaced, and watching this match, watching Mick Foley in this match, made my knee hurt. Dude, the, the things he would personally put his body through in the sink of entertainment—it's um, just a true testament to how much he loved the business. And it was—it was awesome to watch him do it at the time. Like, I kind of like enjoyed watching him uh, because it was something that you never saw. You see a lot on TV, like you saw, like things and you saw people take a couple of different bumps every once in a while but Mick Foley took the bumps like off the top of the hell in the cell through the hell in the cell into a dumpster like it was always part every of his character like, every time it was always part of his character like okay what's he going to do next and it always was uh, jaw dropping it was so cool because that was one of the things you always talked about the next time that somebody brought like oh wrestling's fake and I'm like uh Mick Foley says, no, the fuck it ain't, because he just did that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I always always love Mick Foley's matches, especially when they had some kind of stipulation added to them. Now, New Age Outlaws, too, uh, part of my notes was going into this, I was like, why aren't they part of DX already? I mean, sure, again, hindsight the next night. Like, you know, what we, we end up getting out of them. But, like, dude, they were basically, like, the mid-card version of Shawn Michaels and Triple H anyways. Like, except they were going after their tag team titles as opposed to the other tertiary singles titles. Like, the same characters and everything. And so, like, they were good. It was it was interesting to see them come along. And who told Road Dog that cornrows were cool? Needs to be uh, punched in the face and kicked in the dick. Because that was those <laughs> horrible. But I can't imagine it without those. Yeah, they got better over the years, but that first rendition that was on his head was like it was just like you know how you see some guys that have like the the, the hairstyles like glued on their head. That's what it looked like. It was just like, hey, just fuck my shit all the way up and let's see what <laughs> we can do with it. And there <laughs> it was. It was Road Dog. There we go. Yeah, you know, it, it looked was, like Rigatoni just hanging off the back of his head. Yeah. <laughs> Ro- Road dog at Tony. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, man, that's a chef by RD flavor that could have been really, uh, uh, really could have been sold. Oh, shit. You know, and it's funny because as the Road Dog's hair got better, 
I think Billy's character got worse. Like, you know, the, the badass Billy Gunn, great. He's an ass man. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, you know what? Ass. We love him for the character he was. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, on, on that note, fun fact, the mandible claw is the only submission move in pro wrestling you can put on yourself. Yep. Now okay. you have to take a second. Take a second. Think about it, because both of y'all want to do it to yourself now. That now you're like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, no, I'm good. I keep my fingers out fun, of my mouth. Fun fact: I know what uh, Billy Gunn's ass looks like, but I could not picture Billy Gunn's face. Think about that. Hey, I, well, since you brought the man with a claw, it is. We're just gonna skip over what I said. <laughs> I'm coming back around to it. <laughs> oh shit! The mandible call sounds like more of a foreplay move you would use with your wife, as opposed to a wrestling move. But I always love that mankind had like the two fingers taped together so it could actually be. Utilize more efficiently and faster. Well, we just went to X rated. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, side note. Oh, so, so the last note I have on this was the very end of the match when uh, Chainsaw Charlie slash Terry Funk and Mick Foley, Cactus Jack win the match. There's a moment where Cact or, uh, Terry Funk is like leaning over to Mick Foley and just he's got this huge bruise down the back. Oh my God. Like, yeah. What? Like, oh my God. That, what? Yeah. That thing is I awesome. think that was just like one of those bruises that old people get just for like standing. <laughs> <laughs> I just woke up this morning and fuck, I just got this bruise all of a sudden. It's just a bed sore. <laughs> oh. oh, God. Oh, but it's so gnarly looking. I feel like it must have been when they power bombed them into the into the dumpster. Even no. though they landed into like the. No, he had it before that. It's, that's, uh, an old, or... that's an old bruise. Then I go back to he was just standing. <laughs> that's one. That's one hell of a liver spot. That's definitely for sure. <laughs> Holy shit! Oh, all right. So I gave this match a two star. I it was entertaining, but it was what it was. It was a hardcore match, so it it was what it was. Guys, would y'all give it three? I'm gonna go with three. I enjoyed the the uh, gimmick of the dumpster. And then I the the ladder falling into even though it was kind of like you know I I've seen harder bumps like that but it was it was, awesome. it was one of the first and I thought it was cool so I enjoyed that I gave it two and a half. oh and at the yeah. end I did enjoy sorry real quick just I enjoyed Terry Funk slamming his head into the dumpster <laughs> like after they when they won I thought that was cool. I will say Terry Funk at the end like and that's one of the reasons like I put him up there with rick flair like he genuinely 
looked so happy with Cactus. He's like, you sons of bitches, we beat you. He's hammering on the, the trash can. Yeah. He's like, we did it. Cactus, we did it. We beat those sons of bitches. Like hitting it like that's so good. Like that is just just oh that's good so shit. Good. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally good shit. Yeah. I gave it a two and a half. I really enjoyed the doctor match for what it was. Like it wasn't something that was supposed to be like a super uh over the top type of match. Like it was it was what it was. It was a hardcore match in a time where you didn't see a lot of hardcore wrestling. So the spots that you did see uh, we're protected, but it was fun. And, you know, there's only so much you can do with the dumpster ladder. And two people that are willing to do a lot more stunts than probably the other two people have ever experienced in their whole entire life. Yep. All right. Great match. So next up is Kane versus The Undertaker for the first time ever. And Lathan is fired up for that. I would say oh, man. my first note on here is can you name a better storyline than Kane versus The Undertaker? The buildup and what eventually it became. Like, holy shit, this is one of the greatest wrestling storylines of all time. I mean, it lasted uh, 20 years. Oh, hell yeah. And then, like, you just, it was one of those that, you, like, you, it, you, whenever you had them in a storyline together, whether it be as a tag team or as opponents, like you knew you were going to get a, a, like a like a great match out of them. Like they always brought everything they had, and definitely left you wanting more when it was all said and done. Like it was definitely, um, especially like starting out the like this WrestleMania match, hands down one of my favorite Kane versus Undertaker matches. Um, absolutely, to like to this day, I can. I sat back and I remember, like, I don't, I remember not ever watching um, to this point WrestleMania 14 in its entirety. Like getting ready for this this podcast, it was my first time watching it from literally open to close at, at the main event. But I remember two distinct matches that I always went to when, when watching or wanted to watch WrestleMania 14. It was the main event, and then it was Undertaker versus Kane because that's what really got me back into watching. Um, WWF at the time was just like, oh man, here's this freakishly huge monster that's actually standing on par with the Undertaker as far as supernatural freakiness and like just giving him the business as well. And, um, but yeah, man, like, like I said, like it was definitely uh, super entertaining. And the 20 years of destruction, uh, to coin the phrase, is like it was phenomenal. And, uh, they were definitely well paired together as far as uh, character builds were concerned, storyline. Why Pete Rose before? <laughs> That's, I've, got, I've got listed right here on my notes. Pete Rose is a hero. <laughs> like, I, and and you're, you're right. Like, why Pete Rose? Kane is coming out. He's supposed to be the bad guy. Pete Rose comes out, and he's just a fucking heel in boston which i love as a yankees fan i love but then kane beats up pete rose and gets the cheers how does that how how does that make sense exactly it was it was just a moment it it made more it made just as much sense as jennifer flowers being on here twice (laughs) featured well it was like it was like watching that was 
almost forgot that they were in Boston. I was like, oh, it's Pete Rose. They're in Cincinnati. And then, <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're still, they're <laughs> but if they were, if they were in Cincinnati and he got uh, power driven like that, then it would have made sense because right. yeah, it would have been like Kane being the bad guy. Right. Right. Then it would yeah. have been logical. But let me ask y'all, let me ask y'all this. Could anyone have been Kane? No. What do no. you mean? Like, can anyone be Kane? Like, can any, anyone else play Kane? Right. Could, We've could... seen this, but we've already seen this play out. Luke Gallows. Remember that? Yeah, but that was that was after Kane had been Kane. Could somebody else have portrayed that character from the beginning? Because there wasn't, there wasn't much to him. There wasn't much other, I mean, anybody who could perform in a ring. Yeah. Especially because he didn't talk or anything like that. Like eventually he got, but uh, it was kind of, I mean, I guess you could have, but at the same time, like, it wasn't that was the whole thing about Kane though, right? Is that he didn't talk. He was just there. But like at the same like yeah, I guess you could put anybody in that mask, but like to Glenn Jacobs credit, I guess I should say. Because I remember um Isaac Yankum. I remember fake diesel. I remember he was terrible as a wrestler. Like well, impressionally wise of the character, I never thought anything more of him. But putting the mask on and then realizing they had really good ring presence, like made you help, like made you get a better appreciation of Glenn Jacobs as a performer. Right. So in some cases, you could say, yeah, you can put him like you know you can shine up a turd and put a mask on, it and like it'll still be a turd all the same with a really handsome mask on it. But then there's Kane, there's the there's there's Kane as Glenn Jacobs or Glenn Jacobs as Kane, I should say. Sorry. Um, that really makes him stand out and gives him that extra outerworldly presence, especially who else is that big that can stand right next to the Undertaker and have that, that same athleticism equivalent. And like Kevin Nash at the time was really good. Like I always remember like Diesel Undertaker matches are pretty decent as far as they're both being big athletic guys, but like like Glenn Jacobs had Undertaker by at least 20 pounds and just like outsized them in the ring. And like in a very intimidating way that actually made sense um, for this story, especially being a younger brother that was just like hell bent on just like taking out his revenge on his older brother. So, no, not not everybody could have been Kane. Kane Glenn Jacobs was Kane for a solid, a definitive reason. Can we can we call him Doctor Isaac Kanecom DDS? <laughs> no. <laughs> I like to call it Mayor Kane. <laughs> Mayor Kane. I do like Mayor Kane. Um can can we do can we just pretend that Undertaker never had the teardrop? To... Oh god, the fucking teardrop. Listen, remember we had that like that random hat when the teardrop? Like there was a there's a weird transition of costumes that he went through, like between ninety-six and ninety-eight. And a teardrop came and then the hat came and went and you know, listen, it's you know, it's just part of his lifestyle. You know, he tried some things, realized it didn't work, and move on. All right, <laughs> but but I always noticed that the teardrop always moved a little bit. Like it was never always in the same place twice. Like one day it was over here, the next day it was down here. 
Next thing he was in the middle of his forehead. And it just it just always moved a little bit. Little shifts. But uh but yeah, man, no, we we wanna talk about the teardrop. I'm watching it and I'm like, man, he's got a mole on the side of his head. Yes. Checked out. Oh no, never mind. It's drawn on. Never mind. And it's like the, that emoji style teardrop. Like it's like so like not like the like cholo teardrop. Like if, if it was at least like a cholo teardrop. Okay. <laughs> oh god. Oh, uh, in this match, it and I've got it twice in here. Like in my notes, can like Lawler was annoying as shit at this time. The <laughs> like the heel law, and I love Jerry Lawler, but God, it was just, I mean, it was, and Lathan said it best earlier. It was Memphis, Jerry Lawler over the top. I think I'm going to agree with this one and, the, and, and I'd say the commentating overall, I did not enjoy like, if they would have just called the match, the match would have been the match itself is awesome. I think. There I think if they called it, yeah, they didn't need the added extra. I was like, uh, uh, what I do like about this match is sort of like um, I forgot who made reference to this, like WrestleMania 19 when it was The Rock versus the uh, Hulk Hogan, where like. You know, it was for what it was worth. If you turned down the volume and 18. just watched the match, huh? WrestleMania 18. Sorry, Mario, you're right. WrestleMania 18. Um, but if you turned down the volume and just watched the match, it was kind of a half ass shit show. And like the crowd really brought up a lot, or the commentary in the crowd brought a lot up to it. I could do the same thing with this Undertaker Kane match and actually have a good time watching it. Like, yeah. I, could, I don't have to hear the commentary. I don't have to really hear a lot of the crowd, but I do know what's going on, what's going into the story, and that was enough through the match that showed itself through the match, and it it, it plays out well regardless of uh, the commentary around it. Like I kind of zoned out listening to King a long time ago. Like I said, most of the time when he came on, I kind of just blanked him out anyways. Um, and, but like I definitely, when this match started, he, uh, it was it was awesome from top to bottom. Well, it's no. funny that you say that because as you're saying that, I'm watching. Oh, you can't see it. No more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching the match right now as you're saying that on mute, mute obviously. It. Yeah, and it's it's awesome. Like I'm just rewatching it. And like, yeah, I don't need any commentary for it. You know what? Speaking of commentary, anybody else find it fucking hilarious or ducking hilarious? when the Undertaker goes over the top rope and Kane kind of throws him on the table and the one Spanish announcer is in his chair and he's like slowly he's still talking. falling. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just not moving <laughs> as he falls. Like, what? <laughs> what is happening here? Yeah, that was that was probably was the second biggest highlight I remember. I was like, oh, the Spanish announcer will finally get destroyed. And oh. the announcer is just slow to respond. Oh. <laughs> that's one of the best things i like watching any pay-per-view is like when is the spanish announced that we're gonna get broken and it's just yeah. like and it's like you know it's gonna happen you just don't know how or when it's gonna happen but you know if you got a spanish announced table with your bingo card that motherfucker's gonna get filled up by the end <laughs> of the night yep <laughs> and when it happens everybody goes wild like yeah it's a 
<laughs> I just in my ingrained in my memory is that one Spanish announcer in his chair as it goes back. He's just he's not moving. He's like this, and his chair is just slowly falling backwards. And yeah, like, it's just an awkward, awkward moment. But let me ask y'all. Let me ask y'all this: Where would you rate Paul Bearer? on all times managers list i have him as a top three probably number two or three maybe one it just depends but he's a top three for sure probably top three maybe three for me so who would be two and one i have no idea but (laughs) i think that's for another episode but for sure for sure top three for Paul Bear in the irony of him just being an actual Paul Bear in real life. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, but um it was uh I would probably put him in top five. Or actually no, I probably wouldn't. I would put him in top five because I do know that I remember him being one of my bigger reasons of, of me enjoying the manager concept of wrestling. I always having a pivotal role as far as um as far as building characters for either the Undertaker to go against or the Undertaker to evolve from. Like, he was always one of those big players that made the Undertaker in himself a bigger character, uh, whether it was against him or with him. As a, um, it was always really interesting, especially uh, in the late 90s. Yeah, I think yeah, that's... definitely top, top three, top four or five. I think the soundbite of Paul Bearer in this match where he's like, damn you, dead man, damn you, like it <laughs> just rings eternal for me. Oh, yeah. all right. And his so, high-pitched voice was so creepy. Yeah, yep. So here we go. Yeah. This is a big one. This is a big one. So star rating. I gave this one a three and a half just for it i mean the kane and undertaker are almost both out of shape in this one like there, you can see kane like the belly and stuff and i'm not one to talk but like they, he, they were definitely beefy men right that time you can hear him like he is sucking wind through that mask and maybe it's the mask itself i don't know but it, it, the the match was great I gave it a three and three quarters. Um, <laughs> definitely, definitely uh, one of the best matches of the night. Like, like uh, Owen Hart, Triple H, Undertaker, Kane. Uh, definitely two matches I'll sit down and watch anytime. And uh, from this this show, and always remember for the classes they put on. Um, uh, one thing I've always loved about this match is how well developed they made Kane be as a char- as a dominant character. Like you had to literally, like literally, I think I had to give him three tombstones just to get him to lay out for three count. Even with the three count, like he was kicking out at the very last minute yeah. and still got up and like tombstone on a chair again. Like it, so it showed like it really made Kane uh, get over the way he was supposed to as like a super dominant heel. Um, so it, it didn't play his role that way, and then you know just. Uh, those are the testament of Undertaker being, again, one of those guys that can make their opponent look really great and put them over the way they're supposed to. Um, you know, um, so, yeah, so definitely put it put it in the top, 
one of the top ranking uh, matches of the night for sure. George, Mister George, well, I'm too busy watching the match. I am watching the match, and I think I was at a four and kind of late and kind of made me like rethink. I think I was at a four because I know, obviously, I knew the turnout, and with the other matches, I forgot who was gonna win. So what rewatching it was like, oh, who did win? Uh, but this one, obviously, I knew who was gonna win. Um, so I was trying to be a, as unbiased with that. Like I, I wanted to just enjoy the match, and I still want to give it a four. But I think with how slow they were in certain parts, I think I'm just gonna knock it down to maybe a three point five. Because I did find it very entertaining, the fact that with the how they portrayed, oh, he had to give them three to put them down. It was good and. Uh, every time we went for a tombstone, all I kept thinking was, "Don't land on your neck." Yeah, you know. So yeah. Undertaker and they're just struggled with him. With yes, so many times, like they like try to set up, and you can just see them get lower and lower each time. Like yeah. no, like you're like <laughs> you're getting too low. So it got me nervous, and for that, I still want to give it a high one. So three point five, because there was a lot of risk in that. <laughs> Yeah. That's too big. Yeah. And you know what? For to to Lathan, I had noticed this in the match, and it's very subtle. But as Undertaker is tombstoning Kane, Kane kicks out hard, kicks out less, and then on the last one, it's like he he one two three, and then he moves. So <laughs> it, you know, it was a good it was a good story. They told a good story. Yeah, I love King Strong and left Undertaker Strong, and so everybody wins. That's the that's the best match you can have, right? Everybody comes out a little bit stronger on the other side, and it told the story it was supposed to tell. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I like that, like the fact that he kind of he still kicked out, so it shows that you know, it doesn't really show like, or it doesn't say like, oh, Undertaker's better than Kane. It's just that Kane was just a little slower at that. Point yeah, to kick out. So I did like that part. I still showed him like, oh, he didn't put him down. He just held him down a little bit longer. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. So here we go. We are on to the main event, but we're going to take a quick commercial break for our sponsors to uh, get them, you know, some promotion. Oh, we don't have any sponsors. That's right. So we're going to go right into it. Uh, hey, go too hard, too fast podcast. Never mind. I think Gulf Fuel. <laughs> <Late> since I go. <laughs> Jerry Rice is going to get a bill and it's going to be really weird. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be the quickest 36 cent check he ever wrote in his life. <laughs> yep. What do they want? Oh, sure, whatever. Give it to them. <laughs> so here we go. The main event Shawn Michaels, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mike Tyson as a special enforcer. The intro that they did with the lead you know their match intro was one of the best ones that wwef has ever done like it really to me set the stage perfectly for this match which i yeah it it amazing amazing intro for this match yeah, definitely a uh, good promo. I mean, 
most of the promo credits that they had going into these matches, especially like the the bigger matches, like the Undertaker one was a really good promo too. Um, this one definitely got you ready for the match, got you hyped up for the match, and so you're ready to see it for what it was worth. Um, especially at the time, like you know, as a kid, like this was the match that you like really wanted to lay out for and watch because it was like your two biggest transitional uh, wrestlers that were super popular at the time for different reasons, right? And so you knew you were going to be in for a really entertaining, tough match. Stone Cold is a brawler. Shawn Michaels is – he's Mr. WrestleMania, right? He, he's got that name for a reason. Like, he gets in between those ropes. And personality and dog shit, um, drug dealing aside, or drug taking aside, like, when you got in between <laughs> those ropes, he was, like, the best – one of the best wrestlers that could ever lace up a pair of boots at the time, right? No, you knew you were going to get entertained. You know you are going to be in – get your money's worth out of them when you got between those ropes. Um, so you definitely were on a, you, you went into it not knowing realistically who was going to win, um, especially as a kid. Like you were like, oh, Stone Cold's going to win. Sean can win. You could, you could see it both ways being played out. And then you were always wondering like, what is Mike Tyson going to do? Check my notes. Not a fucking thing. This is horrible. <laughs> Why is he here? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and then um but yeah but overall man like it was definitely the anticipation for it uh was a really strong build to it so I, I did appreciate it for that now going into the match we'll talk about that later on but like they definitely did build it the right way to make you at least uh pay for the pay-per-view if you had pay-per-view money <laughs> uh do you guys have better minds or memories for for wrestling, um, I enjoy the 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 walking out, you know, Stone Cold walking out into the from the from the back into the front, kind of doing that stretch, um, and then walking out, and then obviously Shawn Michaels with Triple H in China, walking out, flipping off the camera, and then you know, kind of like mouthing off into the camera and all that. Yeah, and then obviously, yeah, the intro with the band. It was it was super cool how they did the cuts into live into the 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 show the or like the, yep, yep. the video, yeah. And then Shawn Michaels, I rewinded it a few times just to see Shawn Michaels do the kind of thing he did. <laughs> it was I rewinded. I was like, ah, I remember that. So I enjoyed that part a lot. <laughs> yeah, I I I found it. I found the the intro stuff really good the Shawn Michaels, the Stone Cold, and you're right, it built the anticipation. You know, the stretch, the Michaels standing there, you know, cocky and ready to go. Uh, anybody else notice that Mike Tyson had kind of an early version of Xbox music? Yeah, no, I, that definitely wasn't lost on me. That was just, it, it made good for their attitudes. Like I think that was a that was an executive decision from Jim Johnson's standpoint to give Xbox something similar to that because of the energy they brought out when they did come out. Like they were like you could tell that they definitely had some of the same energy when they came out. Like they're kind of intense but like Xbox more of an explosive intensity where Mike Tyson's just like kind of like Mike Tyson. But yeah, but it was actually cool that uh you know, they like it was cool that they actually gave him his own music in the first place because I thought he just walked out originally. 
Um, but then to see they actually got his own music was kind of cool coming out too. Man, the winged eagle, and we were kind of addressing it earlier. The winged eagle to me was the epitome of the WWF championship. Like, God, that is my favorite belt of all time is the winged eagle. And I know that they had several of them and they all ended up breaking. And so they kind of got away from them, but God, it was was the belt. That was the title. Like big, like big gold and the wing eagle are literally the two most like prominent titles. When you think about wrestling, those are the titles that stick out to my, in my mind. Absolutely. And then the, you know, the, the big circle wing eagle that they did right afterwards uh, was really cool. I wish they would have actually, with this new title that they're bringing back for uh, Raw, they would have brought something like that back to really make it come full circle. Well, like I said, I've, like the belts I've never. Oh, I didn't miss. I'm watching it right now. I just, I just watched uh, Stone Cold pull Shawn Michaels' pants down. Was, <laughs> yeah, you get some tan Shawn Michael butt. <laughs> yeah, was, he's running robes. He's running the robes with his pants down right now. <laughs> you know what? And something weird, something weird that I caught in the match. They did not do an intro for Sean or Stone Cold. They entered the ring and the match started. They were, yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It was, it was kind of weird that they, they didn't do that. Like in my notes, I'm like, no introduction. In a different match earlier on in the pay-per-view, like there was a, you know how like nowadays they, they start fighting and they won't start the match until the other wrestler says, Yes, I'm I'm good, and then they'll ring the bell. There was one word they got attacked, and he's attacking them, and so he hit him. He's like, "Okay, ring, start the match." So I was like, and I, I thought that was weird too. So maybe it, it goes along with the same reasoning why they didn't do, like if they just wanted to get started with the match. I, I I venture to say I think they wanted to get started with the match because of Shawn Michaels' back. Because there's a moment in there where you see where his back, where the whatever painkiller he's on, wears off. Because he goes from being fine and jumping around and all that to where he is holding himself up on the ropes. He is, and now that's not to take away from anything from him. With a herniated disc, that man put on a clinic in that match. But I think there's a moment where you can see where that pain medication wears off because mm-hmm. he he very you start very much seeing the pain he's he's maybe in. I'm watching that and I kind of see him. He just went to pick up Stone Cold and he picked up Stone Cold the way I pick up Legos from the floor. It's like oh, and I get <laughs> I, I make sure to get like a little extra a little extra stretch as I pick it up. Just so on the way back up, I don't spasm out. <laughs> and you know, God, and this is this is one thing I was thinking about. Like with with Shawn Michaels' back injury, we really missed out on a great feud that should have been. Shawn Michaels, Stone Cold Steve Austin should have been almost a year long. It, I mean, that would have been phenomenal but with michael's back 
they couldn't they couldn't do it and by the time he came back to the wwe as a wrestler i mean it was four years later and stone cold at that point was on his way out yeah i think i think as fans the austin michaels feud could have been so much bigger than what it was but the the timing just it it wasn't there yeah that was where i remember um i guess like what was the last week a and e did a feud um Kyle michaels versus stone cold and yeah. i didn't get to watch it i didn't watch it yet, uh yet but i was like i thought about it i was like they didn't really have a feud it was just that stone cold happened to win the royal rumble and they just created a storyline for like the next two to three months with the feature of Mike Tyson. Like it was more going into the match in the way it was more promoted. It was more like it was going to be a wrestling match of like Stone Cold and a different wrestler. And it was just Stone Cold featured with Mike Tyson when it came to international or like the mainstream news. Uh, like when they uh, featured like in, in mainstream media. Yeah. But as a wrestling fan, you knew it was going to be Shawn Michaels versus Stone Cold. But, like, Shawn Michaels really wasn't the – wasn't a headliner of the match. He was just a secondary note to the match because it was the baddest man on the planet and the, uh, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, which is the craziest son of a bitch in wrestling right now, toughest son of a bitch on TV right now. I think there was a point – um, leading into it, uh, which was part of my notes, leading into it, Sean Michaels kind of knew he wasn't part of, he was part of the main event, but he wasn't the main event of the main event. And that kind of may have mentally took him out of it even more psychologically to where he didn't want to be there. Right. And, and it's actually already hurt anyways. And there was no plan for him going forward where it's like, okay, I'm going to drop the title at WrestleMania and then on Raw, we're going to keep going with the story. Yeah. He knew, like, this is this the is end of the story. Yeah. And you actually go back and watch a lot of the, the documentaries because, you know, we always, anybody looks back at WrestleMania 14, they only look back at it for the most part because of this main event match, not for the undercard. But, right. like, it's always talking about how, he was backstage afterwards during the press conference and how torn up his back was and how he was like a son of a bitch and nobody wanted to be around him afterwards yeah. referring to Shawn Michaels. And like, it just, it just makes sure like it's uh, one of those that like, man, you kind of feel bad for him. But at the same time, uh, going to your point earlier, Art, with him being out for four years, he got a really handsome paycheck. Like it's uh, the less, the less known fact is that uh, the like uh, Shawn Michaels, the whole four years he was out was paid handsomely by WWE, so he didn't go to WCW. The 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 innuendos that have been talked about is only why he came back when he did is because WCW got bought and Mr. Man didn't have to feel like he had to pay Shawn the money anymore to stay at home and not go work for the competitors. Just saying, I've, I've heard it a couple of times, and like I'm like, uh. That actually sounds like it makes more sense than him just like miraculously having a good back again. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, both like, I mean, it's always great to see Shawn Michaels in the ring all the same, man. But yeah. um, he, he'll always be my favorite wrestler of all time. Yeah. No, he definitely ranks pretty high on, uh, on like, as far as giving you your money's worth in, the, in between the ropes, definitely uh, ranks pretty high. 
So yeah, but he just you know just like everybody else, they have bad spots in their lives, and we got to kind of witness it on the grander stage for most of of Shawn Michaels' first first half of his career. Yeah. So yeah, and George, as you're watching this, do you notice how close to the ring the freaking tables are? Yes, because he like and just turns around. Holy shit. Uh, that was one thing like during this match, I was like, wow, the announcer's tables are really close to the ring compared to what they are now. Yeah, the spacing is really snug in, in these matches, which made it easier for uh, Undertaker to take the table bump. When he was <laughs> yeah. <high> <laughs> but what I'm noticing too is the way he's walking a little more gingerly and kind of certain steps that he's taking so that so like, he, like, it's, like he doesn't spasm out like, kind of thing. I, as I'm watching and enjoying the match, uh, randomly you get shots of uh, 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 Tyson on the in, on the outskirts, and it's like, why? Why is he there? Like, why? What is he supposed to be enforcing, and what is he supposed to be doing? Eventually, yeah, Triple H gets in into the mix, but really, it wasn't anything. Yeah. Well, there's there's a couple of moments where. And I have it in here that Tyson was great in what he was doing because he'll like. There's a couple of moments where like Sean is has Austin by the edge of the ring, and Tyson will just walk by and like smack him, and then walk away, like and put his hands up to the ref, like I no, I don't know what you're what you're talking about. Like I think for for what he was doing, what he was supposed to be doing, which I, again, yeah, you're right. Did, what did he bring to it other than the name? I thought he did. I thought he did fairly good. Now, um, but you notice Sean's going to put the figure four on Austin, and very faintly in the back, you hear woo woo, like, but it's nowhere <laughs> near what it is today when a figure four is put on. But you hear kind of in the background the wooing for Ric Flair. Everybody knows when you put the figure four on, you know who that came from. <laughs> I will. I will. You. You. I did notice as the match goes, like Sean's back is completely ducked in this. Like he goes from like bending over to pick up Austin to like doing the the dad squat so you don't hurt your back. Mm-hmm. Like lift him up and like try to maneuver him, but man, again, Sean puts on a clinic with his back that messed up. He's just he he is so good. Yeah, and now I will say to his detriment for being a really great entertainer, um, he put himself like in this match more specifically, he put himself in harm's way. But some of the spots he took, which he didn't have to, um, it it made it still made the match look good. The match was going to be good regardless because they're really good as far as their as far as the chemistry in the ring, anyways. But like we see Shawn Michaels take an upside down turnbuckle bump, and you can hear him physically run himself into the turnbuckle. I'm like, you could at least pump the brakes a little bit easier and like flip yeah. over. Uh, the ropes or something to to help kind of alleviate the extra pressure you're putting on yourself. But um, I mean, for what it's worth, it does show how good an entertainer he is. But like, you can still have the same match with a little bit more caution to the 
to the win, so to speak. When it came, especially to the physical stress that HBK already put on his body getting into the match. You yeah. can get to the match without, like, dying. Like, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, there's certain moves that he's doing where it's, like, like, you can tell, like, the extra added forward is just to get that stretched out, like, to stretch yeah. it out. And then right before he does a movie, like, he, like, mentally prepares for, okay, this is going to suck. And then, bam, he does it. It's just, but the thing, like, is, like, he's still, he's still doing it. He's still putting it on regardless. And I think it helps the fact that, like, you know, even if you're in pain, to show that you're in pain, like, oh, like, it kind of helps to sell the match a little more, too. Like, it's real pain, and then, but you can, you're, you're selling a little bit more. Yeah, uh, I, will I, say, I will say for as shitty as the commentary was most of this event, like for this match, King and JR did a great job. And for them selling and him, it, they they did good for it. But, you know, it, it kind of a testament to Shawn Michaels. He knew, okay, I'm losing this match. I'm losing the title. And he didn't have a future. He knew he had to go. He was going to be going away after this match, so why not throw it all out there, not knowing whether he was going to be able to wrestle again or not? I mean, yeah, it, but like you know, in retrospect, we knew he was going to come back eventually. Like, well, I <laughs> that, that was like it. Was, it reminds me, like it reminds me, um, like this when it, when it was first talking about this injury back. It reminded me of when he had that bum knee a couple years prior. And like it was like career-ending knee surgery, and then like four weeks later, he's doing backflips off the top turnbuckle after he gave away the Intercontinental Title to Shane Douglas. And I'm like, okay, like you, you don't at the time like Sherry could be slightly real, but you don't know because like he's also played like this kind of like card before, and then came back eventually and put on a good like a good match. Like the matches came to half stars in my book. Up until like the right after <laughs> Spoiler the Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go ahead and give you the rating, the Lathan Meltzer rating uh, of the night. But uh but yeah, man, but like it like overall there was like there was pieces uh of it that kind of left you wondering, guessing um about what was gonna go on. And yeah, we didn't know that this was Shawn Michaels last match for four years. And like if especially if you didn't afford the press conference after the pay-per-view you couldn't afford in the first place <laughs> you just you just well you just woke up the next morning like man what's going to happen on raw you know we didn't have internet back then either but like it left you guessing and uh like you know it it, it left a good uh good start to the attitude era really taking off the way it did um but i will say this i will ask this question though um because Shawn Michaels technically wasn't there for the Attitude Era. Do you think he would have contributed more to the Attitude Era, or would it have been the worse off? It depends what Shawn Michaels what we're talking about. Shawn Michaels. I'm talking about drugs. I'm talking about the pilled up Shawn Michaels that was on my oh. TV screen at the time, like the one that nobody really liked backstage and was secret politicking. Uh, Shawn Michaels that also kind of had a chip on his shoulder. Shawn Michaels. I would think he would have added. To it hardcore. I, no. I think no, I think I think uh because you think about how influential DX was with Triple H as the leader, 
and having the new age outlaws with Xbox and China, would we have had that with Sean still there? Yeah. I, and, and I'm, I'm the quintessential Sean Michaels fan. I wouldn't have wanted him there. Dang. Yeah. So let's finish this up with the really awkward moment of Tyson randomly coming in and doing the fast three count for Austin to win the championship. I'm going to do that with my rating. So I would give this a five-star rating for me. Oh. But Tyson ending goes down to a four. It completely ruined. It was such a great match. And then the just randomly coming in and going. Yeah. Without any, any at least a little giveaway of something might happen. Something, a little bit of a, a tease or. Or at least some, at least Jr. or Lawler kind of saying, you know, he can also do a count. He, he might, he could finish, you know, nothing. He came in yeah. as like, is that does this even count or anything? Like, it, it made was, no sense. <laughs> it was very <laughs> random, and yeah, you're right. There was no lead into it. There was no like moment on the outside where Sean hits him and is like, do your job or whatever. There was no moment like that. Tyson has been DX the whole time. And then all of a sudden he comes in and does the like, not even a good, like championship three count. It's the fast, yeah. which yeah. normally. And it's not what? even, not even as like a screw job wannabe. Like, it's not like a, like a, oh, like it was always going to be, I was always going to be a traitor kind of thing. Like, no, it was just like, so he's Stone Cold. He's DX. What we, yeah. He never takes off the shirt either afterwards. It's like, right. what's going on here? So much confusion going on. There's a, there's a lot. There's a lot. And it was a um, lot of confusion for not having a really – it's not like on Monday, Sean's there and he's like, this is bullshit. You know, he fast counted and it led to something. It was like – so okay he's the champion okay and we're just gonna ignore everything else tyson's gone michaels is gone dx is doing their own other thing now yeah it was it my rating i'll agree with george it's a four star on there because it was such a random finish it is a celebrity coming into like uh, wrestling match so he, clearly he was excited to get to get to his particular point of the match which is which, which is probably why i got the super fast counting it was, like, a, it was, it was like a, he counted prematurely he had a, yeah. a premature finish yeah <laughs> he was like okay yeah like it was like it was way past time he was like man i need to go home but uh but i mean like it, like it is it was a good match like i said i gave it three out of five um the ending did play a role in the way I, I drafted a little bit, but like it was one of those that at the end of the day, it told the story. The crowd left happy and super energetic. Um, and then, you know, in retrospect, you, you got a, a big like four to five years of just the greatest wrestling uh, on, and uh, for the time, like the, the wrestling culture was at a pivotal moment where it hasn't been ever since. Um, on both sides, both WWF and WCW. So 
It, uh, it definitely made life more entertaining growing up at that time. It's kind of like the, the late 90s is a kind of you have to be there moment to really understand the cultural shift of what was going on on so many different levels. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And so, but it was, it's a, it's a pocket of time, like, you know, that was really innovative for the way that we looked at TV, looked at entertainment as a whole and, and looked at athleticism in our wrestlers at, at the time too. And so, you know, I definitely do give it credit where credit's due. That attitude era um, was definitely one of my favorite moments of time for all the good and the bad it was worth because, my God, there was a lot of bad for all the good that we talk about. Overall, what's the biggest – what's the ranking I want to give WrestleMania 14? Oh, man. I'm, I'm going to give it overall three and a half stars. I think it had enough in it that it was – I mean, it was it was entertaining overall. I mean, other than the tag team battle royal, which was kind of garbage, but it did what it was supposed to. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give it three and a half stars. It, it was good. It was good. I'm gonna go. I want to say four point two, but I think three point eight is a little more fair. <laughs> That's the most random. Like four point two. Nope. 3.8 i think it's just like it's it's there's enough to say it doesn't reach the four like kind of thing um and i'm yeah. still i'm still like why the heck like i'm i'm still very like annoyed that tyson never changed his shirt i was like if you're gonna change yeah. your color you're gonna <laughs> change your, your loyalty change your shirt <laughs> you know at that yeah. time and mm -hmm. it's still now nowadays but at that time, your shirt meant who you were with. Right. So if you're yeah. not if if you're changing loyalty, then you're changing your shirt. You know, and I realized that George, when watching it back, Stone Cold hands him a shirt. And yeah, two, of them. Two. Two, two of them. Two of them. Two of them. Yeah. He lays and one on Sean and then he carries one out holding it up. Holding like raising Stone Cold's hand the whole way. I'm like, just put the damn shirt on. Like, <laughs> 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 Oh man, this one. Wait, we, we we need Lathan's ranking. Three. It was definitely a three star. It's like, in I I don't like, I don't shit on WrestleMania 14 for completely being a decent pay per view. Like, it's one of those. It's not the best, one of the best WrestleManias um, that I've seen, but it's definitely not the worst. But it is one that still has really great narrative drive that puts it like uh kind of what's the word ignites a whole new era of wrestling like you know it, so i do get i do appreciate and give it credit for that because you know most wrestle some wrestlemanias are wrestlemanias right they're just like give you story beats and like this is like the godfather of wrestling and it's going to be this grandiose event and it doesn't really lead to anything afterwards this wrestlemania led to a whole generation of wrestling fans that are now doing podcasts in their late thirties, early thirties as fathers and oh. stuff and being really nostalgic. And so, you know, it, it definitely did um, do, it definitely was a different era that did what it was supposed to do for the business. Um, so, yeah, but at, at the end of the day, like cast the card was good. Half the card was dog farts. Yeah. Uh, you know so, what? yeah, man. And it's good that you bring us to that. So 
we're going to conclude this podcast with spinning the wheel to see what topic we are going to be discussing next month on the next A Ducking Wrestling Podcast. So here are the choices on the wheel. We have SummerSlam 2002, Judgment Day 2000, Royal Rumble 1998, and ECW One Night Stand. Oh. So here we go. I am putting this up. It is going to be completely random. Let's you see. spin that. What are we talking about next month? Hold on, my watch is going off. Hold on, here we go. Boom. We're talking about... Ah! Judgment Day 2000. There it is, guys. Do y'all remember what happened on Judgment Day in 2000? No. Oh. Wait, is Judgment Day 2000 Highway to Hell? Nope. Okay. Damien Priest? Not Cold. It's not Cold <laughs> versus Undertaker. Um, Judgment Day 2000. Come on. I don't remember. Wait, is, it, is, is Judgment Day... At the beginning, uh, is it January pay-per-view or December pay-per-view? Judgment Day at that point, I don't remember the month because it wouldn't be January. That's Royal Rumble. That's Royal Rumble. Okay, so Judgment Day. No, Armageddon was uh, the December pay-per-view at the time. Okay, never mind. Judgment Day. So Judgment Day. Here, here is what happened. Judgment Day of two thousand. But don't tell me. Don't, don't, don't tell us. Like, I don't want to know. Only because. I don't recall it at all. So I kind of want to go in fresh and just kind of just enjoy it. No, I got to tell you, I got to tell you the teaser for the fans for Judgment Day 2000. Oh, man. Okay. I remember this one. I already got notes for the main event. Um, Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. George. All right. Hey, guys, thank you all so much for being a part of this. Lathan, what do you do? You have anything to plug? Not a damn thing. Uh, okay. <laughs> George, I'm Mr. A, I'm going to plug in my CPAP and go to sleep because <laughs> I'm old. George, Mr. Too Hard Too Fast, what you got coming up on your on your podcast? Follow Too Hard Too Fast on IG, Spotify, YouTube's ever everywhere. But follow this podcast if you're a wrestling fan for sure. Yes, uh, we are. We are a ducking wrestling podcast. This has been the review of WrestleMania 14. I hope y'all had fun. I had fun. Lathan had fun. George probably had fun. I don't know. He wasn't looking at the camera. I, you know what? I do enjoy. I, I did enjoy being the co-host and not having to run. Ah, there we go. I like, I like being just like on, on this song. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for watching, and we will see y'all next month with Judgment Day 2000. <laughs>